It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 331. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from the APG Headquarters studios. Today's show is recorded on the 8th of July, 2018. Today's episode, an accidental hijacking alert, a hard landing in Japan, and a man shuts down a runway in Atlanta. More news, your feedback, and this week's plane tale, an addendum. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seatbacks in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 331 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we talk about news in the previous week and also answer all of your great feedback, or as much of it as we can. And joining me to help do that is... Doctor? From her beautiful lakeside home in South Carolina, the doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, it's Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff, and I am always happy to help answer all that feedback and talk about the news as well. So, excited to be back for a show. Sorry I missed you last week. Was not my intention. And um, looking forward to this. Well, we're so glad that you're here with us this week. And uh, we missed you. And also joining us... From his recording studio outside of London, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London, Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff, and hi, Steph. Yeah, for me too, it's great to be back on the show. Certainly missed being on the show uh, last week, but it was a very good uh, reason. Uh, But looking forward to making up uh, time tonight. Excellent. Yeah, I missed both of you. Uh, it was just Dana and I last week, and uh, we we kind of you know managed to muddle away muddle our way through it. But uh, you we call had a good that time. muddling? Yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't yes. live. It was it was a great show. I don't know. What <laughs> yeah, Nick, Nick and I heard things a little differently, perhaps. Oh yeah. Well, so what do you mean? I don't know. Just so just a guess. Nick, you you heard. Uh, so what you heard when you listened to the show wasn't quite up to the par uh, that you're used to oh i the, thought it was the comedy version i i didn't realize it was a proper show i'm sorry i i thought you guys were just having fun really so uh i, I see some audio here in the intro that i'm supposed to play and it apparently it's how you heard uh airline pilot guy episode well, that's, yeah, that's, that's how it came came through my speakers i don't know about okay. anybody else well let's let's see uh let's take a trip into deep into captain nick's mind Uh, Steph, I don't think we should be leaving these two alone together again. Anywho. All right, looks like I get uh, a picture. Well, there's no actual verbiage with it. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good, Dana. (laughs) 
You are a blowhard. Uh, yeah. No, where's the uh, volume thing? Um, moving on. There it is. I hear the sound now. Whatever. <laughs> Check it out in the show notes. There it is. I hear it again. It's not there. Yeah, go ahead. West Wales, West Wales, West Wales, West Wales, West Wales, West Wales. <laughs> Near West Wales. Shipwood <laughs> at Albert, Ab- Aberporth. I'm sorry, Nick. That's okay, mate. Aberporth. Aberporth. But anyway. Two accidents, salt source, Thales. Talus. Thales. Talus. Thales. Talus. Thales. Talus. Thales. It's not Thales. I believe it is Talus. Thales. Yeah, I know, but I'm talking about the company. Oh. Uh, it's not Thales. It's uh, Talus. Thales. Anywho, <laughs> I think we're at 50% still. Close divulge. Developed from the Israeli developed Albert Helmsforth. Hey, Albert Helmsforth is a friend of mine. TikTok, 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 TikTok. 99 bottles of beer on the wall, 99 bottles of beer. And excuse me. It's, yeah, so uh, the translation there is I, I had meant to. Um, let me I can, let me see if I can. Uh, I'm sorry. Whatever. Check it out in the show notes. There it is. I hear it again. And with that, Steph, I arrest my case. Flame throw a drone. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the live recording was a little bit, uh, I don't know. More I don't recall it being quite like, I, I remember some of those little things there, but the way you put it together, <laughs> not, it was actually much more funny the way you did it. I think every show should be like that. Uh, it should be. <laughs> That's the version, like the Reader's Digest version at the end. APG about this week. Here you go. Two-minute version. There you All go. The <laughs> Here's the five-minute version. <laughs> or one-minute 45 version, I guess. That's Absolutely. Right. Yes. Methinks, of course, uh, Lane says in the chat room, Methinks Nick hath too much time on his hands. Could be. <laughs> Possibly. So explain again why you weren't with us last week, Nick. I, I was uh, having a lovely holiday with my uh, gorgeous wife and uh, three wolves on the uh, coast, the south coast of Cornwall, uh, a lovely uh, area of England in the bottom left-hand corner on the, the big peninsula that sticks out into the ocean there. And um, we had a little wooden cottage that was uh, balanced on the edge of a cliff. And uh, we had a lovely beach in front of us. We climbed down to every day and walked the dogs. And uh, in the evenings, we sat out on a big deck and uh, drank uh, chilled wine and watched the sunset. It was absolutely fabulous. A lovely week. And you did that instead of being on the show? Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to having you across here to drink chilled wine and we can do a show together in our back, my back garden. That'd be good. I just don't think it's going to be quite the same, but thank you. I'm looking forward no. to it. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So I completely, we all completely understand. Absolutely. Uh, you'd rather be on the, the beaches of Cornwall uh, with your lovely wife and dogs. Yeah, but uh, I'm getting... Uh, in the last rows now, getting back to work. So uh, all I'm waiting for now is an email from the CAA uh, reinstating my medical. And that's because uh, I've jumped through every hoop. Uh, and that's the last step. And when they do that, I'll let the company know. And uh, they will work out what to do with me. So it could be that I get something to do this month. Uh, more likely, I would expect probably next month. But we'll see. Well, you know what? Next month, that would be perfect timing. That way, you'd be home the entire time. In the next few weeks, right? It would be. It kind of depends uh, how quickly things get organized and how desperate they are to get me in the seat. Okay. Well, I'm uh, selfishly hoping that it will 
be uh, later rather than earlier. Um, yeah. So, uh, Dr. Steph, I know we all know where you are. You were in the parking garage. In fact, that was the name of the last episode. Stranded in the parking garage. Sorry. I tried to leave. I tried to get home. I actually did leave work. I drove about half a mile and came face to face with just a solid wall of water <clears throat> coming down out of the sky. And I was actually able to turn back around and go back to the parking garage at my place of work where I was. So I thought it was going to hopefully pass rather quickly. And that turned out not to be the case. And the reason I couldn't drive home is because foolishly, I did not have the top on my Jeep. Uh, so the question of course error. is, huh? have you, have you taken care of that matter that yet? Or is it resolved last weekend? Oh. I did put the top on the Jeep. Excellent. Which usually goes on for the summer. However, I had the opportunity to take the hard top off the Jeep, which requires a little bit of help. And I installed a new lift in the garage, which uh, got that all set up. Anticipated I was going to have time the same day to put the soft top on the new Jeep, which requires a little bit of installation. It took me just over an hour to do it. And um, that didn't happen that day. And then, of course, I was working and all kinds of other stuff. And yeah, thunderstorms in the Jeep. Yeah. So but. 4th of July is the date uh, that we celebrate Independence Day here in the United States. Did you have a good uh, Independence Day, uh, Steph? Yeah, I did. I actually um, spent most of the day by the pool drinking Ooh. alcoholic beverages. Oh, so that, that sounds nice. Actually very nice. Excellent. Uh, can I just ask a question that Nev has uh, posed in the chat room? He wants to know if it's legal to go topless where you live, Steph. With the car? Yes. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. And if you're driving in the car, you can as well? or Just the car. Just the car. Okay. <laughs> the car. Gotcha. <laughs> it's a little conservative here in the South. Um, it might not go over well, well if you're yeah, having the... more than just the car being topless. Yeah. They're... You could always say it's a bit of performance art. I'm sure they'd get away with it. I don't think that would go well. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> It's uh, Tanya tells us it's legal in New York City, and uh, we, and we know that Tanya knows that from experience. Apparently, oh, yeah, she lives in New York City. That's what I mean. Yes. <laughs> um, and there are a couple of places I think down in Florida. Uh, there are some some uh, clothing optional beaches, beaches and such. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, pretty much few and far between uh, here in the U.S. Um, I, I wouldn't try it here. I I don't think it would go well. Yeah. I think you'd not. end up talking to law enforcement. Ah, okay. Well, let's keep our shirts on then. How was um, your uh, 4th of July? My 4th of July, well, uh, was very quiet. Um, I, you know, was thinking that I'd have to be home because that's the way it's been for the last 31 years because that's my oldest daughter's birthday. And uh, so I, I uh, made sure that I was going to be off for that. And then I was talking to my wife, Linda, about what are what are the plans for uh, Alyssa's birthday? And she said, oh, well, she's not going to be here. <laughs> oh, OK. Uh, she's going to be down in Orlando. So she drove down to Orlando and met up with her brother and some other friends and spent most of the week, her birthday week, down at uh, Disney World, a place that she loves. And uh, she worked at one time. She was a college intern at uh, Disney um, a few years back, about eight years ago, believe it or not. And uh, so, but the third of my third of July was exciting. Uh, I got to uh, run by the airport. Uh, actually, no, I ran by the, uh, drove by downtown Atlanta, picked up 
the uh, good-looking Captain Jeff. Uh, he was uh, at his layover hotel in downtown Atlanta, picked him up, and then we drove down south, down toward Noonan, Georgia, and met up with uh, Dispatcher Mike and his lovely family, and we celebrated the 3rd of July. <laughs> Actually, uh, uh, celebrated the Independence Day holiday uh, a day prior, and uh, we had great uh, barbecue, uh, pulled pork barbecue, and uh, we also uh, enjoyed um, a, a, an amazing fireworks demonstration put on by the uh, fireworks master, uh, Dispatcher Mike. So, had a great time. It was good seeing Captain Jeff and Mike and Naomi and the kids at uh, Dispatcher Mike's house. So, that was fun. And glad that um, all extremities are still intact after the fireworks display. Yep, I, I got nowhere near. Um, yeah, I was uh, a good distance away and uh, lounging in, uh, in a nice uh, uh, lawn chair and uh, having adult beverages. And uh, yeah, Mike still has all his fingers. Um, let's see, before that, let's see, we, we did, it's been almost two weeks since we've done a show. Uh, so we did it on Tuesday of the previous week. And on uh, Thursday of that week, I headed out to California for a certain legal matter that I'm um, involved in. And uh, after the hearing on Friday morning, I drove down to Ensenada. And uh, I think that's right, Ensenada. Um, Escondido, maybe, or Ensenada. Well, I think we say something about where it was in the piece of audio that I'm about to play. And I met up with uh, Brandon. So I'm going to go ahead and play that now. Hello, everyone. I'm here in Southern California for a legal issue. And uh, it's kind of a not a great reason to be out here in Southern California, but... Uh, my day got a lot better because after the events of this morning, I had a chance to meet up with uh, Brandon Gonzalez, the host of Podcasting on a Plane Aviation Podcast. Hello. And yes, if you've not heard, listened to those great pipes, go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm just here to be. Uh, I'm here recording with the illustrious Captain Jeff. <laughs> illustrious. And uh, despite the fact that I think there's actually an ant crawling up my leg right now, we are having a great time. Uh, just having some local San Diego favorites at uh, Stone Brewing. Yeah, Stone Brewing Company. Oh, man, they make an awesome IPA, but they make a lot of other great beers as well. Uh, in North County, San Diego, I've been drinking their beer for quite a number of years. I've never been able to visit their brewery or their, what do they call this, beer garden? Yeah, the beer And garden. Uh, we just finished a wonderful lunch uh, at the uh, closer to the the brewery, and now we're in this... What would you, how would you describe this? And you talked about the ants, so we must be... Well, it's kind of... The thing about this place is kind of a one-of-a-kind. I mean, I guess it's it's a beer garden, but they have this whole outside area where you just... You can walk around and take your glass with you, and they have, you know, Adirondack chairs everywhere and a little pond and a waterfall, and... We're surrounded by yeah. bamboo. Uh, it's like 73 degrees, and we're hanging trees. out in the shade, and it's... The, yeah. Are these called trees? Bamboo trees? They're bamboo. bamboo. Bamboo something. They're wood. Wood, bamboo wood things. And they're shady, which is the yes, important Yes, very part. shady. That's why we're over here. And, and they're making a lot of noise, so I hope you guys enjoy that too. Yeah. Are they? Oh, see, I don't hear it. All, all that hearing's gone in that room. Anyway, so as I said, uh, I knew I was going to be out here in Southern California. I've been uh, keeping in touch with Brandon 
uh, because yeah, we're fellow aviation podcasters. Absolutely. And he, he knew I was coming out here, and he said, hey, if you have a chance, let's get together. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do that. So drove down to Escondido, which is where Stone Brewing is, or in this area, but this place is in Escondido. And uh, yeah, it's been very, very fun. That's not a very good way to say that, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, and the meal was awesome. We it had this. It was, it was what? Impossible. It was impossible. It was an impossibly good meal. Impossible burger. Uh, we which both is, tried the yeah the new substitute for red meat, which is I guess a soy plant based derived patty. But pretty it pretty much tasted like beef to me. Yeah, I guess if, you had, if I hadn't known better, it would have yeah, fooled me. It was very tasty. But yeah, the Impossible Burger. So we we both never tried that and heard of it. So we had it. Yeah. It was it was great and. We had uh, some different IPAs. I had a Funny Dude IPA, and you had a, what was it? How was that Funny Dude? Uh, the Scorpion is what I had. Okay. Scorpion Bowl. Did it sting you? No. Okay. I'm not sure. I, I, I still don't understand the name, Scorpion Bowl, and what it has to do with beer. But who cares? Who it cares? It was really good. Yeah, I don't know if mine was funny either, but it sure did taste good. But what we're having now is really good. A, a nice dessert beer, a bourbon barrel-aged something something stout yeah bourbon barrel aged arrogant bastard arrogant bastard okay and is there maple in there somewhere too i taste like it but i don't know anyway it's really good they're in a little snifter cheers and uh, cheers and uh yeah so one of the and i've said this so many times but i'm gonna i'm gonna say it again uh one of the best things about doing the apg show is getting to meet people who Listen to the show, support the show. Brandon's a member of the Coffee Fun Cadre. Thank you very much for that. Absolutely. And uh, it's uh, just a lot of fun meeting like-minded people in aviation. Is that Dana? (laughs) Did you just hear that? Do you think that thing picked that up? Stand by. (laughs) Anyway, we just heard a motorcycle burst, or whatever you call that, rev or burst or obnoxiousness. So it must uh, must be Dana. But uh, anyway, so we're having fun here, talking uh, podcasting, talking beer, talking microphones, all kinds of good stuff. So yeah, you know, I've got to say, I think you, you're the only person in the world that can both appreciate talking about uh, podcasting, getting all pedantic about audio recording and all that fun stuff. I, I may have convinced Captain Jeff here to, to upgrade his microphone a little bit. Not that the one he has isn't amazing, but yeah, uh, but we're, the one I'm, we're I'm using right now it. is like. Uh, I can't wait to hear how this recording sounds. Absolutely. So, so we're cool. work, I'm working on working on that. And uh-huh. uh, but between the beer, the podcasting, the audio production, and aviation, I, yeah, I think we got all the bases covered. This has been a great lunch. Tell us about your show, just in case. I mean, I can't imagine anybody listening to this right now hasn't already subscribed and listened to all of your shows. Tell us about podcasting on a plane. So, let me. Uh, so, sounds to me like. You get on airplanes and you podcast. You know, that was actually going to be what I wanted to do. I was I was going to choose a different aircraft to record in each day as my recording studio. And That can be expensive. It, it, yes, it, it was. They were probably going to be parked. <laughs> but if, the first episode, well, okay, episode two, the first real episode that wasn't the intro, I actually did do that. I, I was on an Envoy Airlines ERJ, and I recorded with uh, the individuals that came for a, a career day at the local flight school. And so I did, in fact, podcast on a plane one time. However, the difficulties that I found that day were that all of the fun noises that we know and love when you're 
on an, on an airplane and you're going to go somewhere and have a great trip are kind of detrimental to recording a podcast. So, <laughs> a little noisy environment. Yeah, yeah, I thought it would be, you know, I thought it would be just character for all of us aviation geeks that like to, to, to hear that kind of stuff. But really, when you're trying to record something and all you can hear is an APU in the background, it's 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 not really character anymore. It's just irritating. So, yeah. uh, so now the, the podcast, what I do is I, I want to have it be... Uh, I've done a lot of things in aviation, and I want to share not only what I've done, but what so many other people are doing, because it, obviously aviation has no lack of things that you can do, of different career paths and, and things that you can try. And while there are a ton of aviation podcasts out there, uh, what I like to do is is cover as many different angles of aviation as possible. So I've spoken with people like uh, Brian Terwilger, the, the guy who pretty much single-handedly made one six right, which is... I think we can all agree one of the greatest aviation films ever. Yep. Um, and uh, and and so on. And uh, I am an air traffic controller. That's what I do now. That's uh, how I make my living. And I and I do that because you know with family life, I, I like to be able to go home at the end of the night, but still go to the airport at, each day. But as a pilot, I, I do miss flying professionally. I miss flying for a living. And uh, you know, so many people that are friends of mine and family you know, still do that. And, and, and that's great too. But there are so many other things that can be done that I want to cover all of it. And, mm-hmm. and at some point, you know, maybe years in the road, we'll have covered all the bases. But at this point, there is no lack of subject matter for, for stuff you can do in aviation. And uh, a fun little side thing I, I kind of try to do is is base it on ways that you could get into those career paths if that was something that would that would interest you with whoever we're talking about well, with that day. So um, anything I can do in aviation to to help promote and, and get people to you know make their living in aviation doing something they love is is something I'm happy to do. That's awesome. Yeah. So again, check out podcasting on a plane. Subscribe. Leave a great review for him on iTunes. And uh, yeah. Well worth your time. Thank you. You're welcome. What do you think? Should we go back to these uh, IPAs? Yes. All right. Out. (laughs) That was a lot of fun. And uh, Stone (laughs) Brewing is an amazing brewery. I know that uh, I'm sure that Steph has had some of their product. Plenty. Yeah. It sounds Quite like familiar. you had almost a bit too much fun. We didn't have that many. I think that was only our second that beer, like number four right, Brandon? Count? Golly. Well, what language yeah. was it you were speaking? I don't know, but I, I'm kind of interested. American? You know, what's, what's really cool about that? Uh, yeah, American. What's cool about that, Mike, Brandon, is that it picked up, uh, I think, the conversation uh, about 15 feet behind us, almost better than our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the uh, mic that he's talking about is a uh, Sennheiser, what was it, 416, something like that? Yeah. Um, MKH 416. Yeah, and it's a shotgun mic, and uh, it uh, really picks up stuff from a long way away. It's a condenser, I'm thinking. You know, it, it sounded great, but uh, I think that uh, I'll stick with my dynamic mic for now because my uh, environment is not quite so quiet. Varies but, from about five hundred to nearly a thousand pounds here in the UK. That's a little yeah, they're not cheap. Dosh. Those Germans really think a lot about their products. Mm. Yeah, uh, Neville Bounds gives a gives his thumbs up as well. The uh, the four sixteen. I don't know. I'm I'm not saying that I'm not going to get one of those that look. Uh, you know, it, it interested in me. Interested. Interested in me. me. Interested in me. Um. 
Yeah, maybe I should cut down on the caffeine. Uh, but anyway, back to our visit with Brandon. Uh, it was a, a beautiful place, great food, and uh, uh, of course, great conversation. And you know, yeah, we kind of geeked out, talked aviation, talked audio equipment and uh, uh, audio, digital audio workstations and all kinds of stuff that, uh, you know, Nev could have joined us and really enjoyed it as well. Uh, but uh, anywho, uh, thanks again, Brandon, for meeting up with me and kind of taking my mind off of uh, things that really did uh, cheer me up and made the, the whole day and uh, the whole trip out there worthwhile. So awesome. Yeah, so that was uh, the weekend before the uh, uh, 4th of July holiday. And, you know, that having that holiday in the middle of the week always is weird. Um, it throws everything any, off, Any holiday in the middle of the week is weird because, yeah. like, our office is closed for holidays like that. So it's like you work two days and then you're off a day and then you have to come back to work. It's just not yeah. ideal. Okay, yeah, that Thursday after... Uh, uh, the uh, 4th of July, that 5th of July was like, it felt like it was Saturday. And then yeah. Friday felt like Sunday. I got, I got thrown out. And now we're on off. to like second Monday here before the week <laughs> actually starts. Yeah. I don't what know, day I don't is know it today? What's going on today? <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> um, we tried to do the, uh, the uh, recording earlier and uh, just our schedules just didn't work out. In fact, I hauled all of the equipment with me on my trip. I left uh, on Thursday and came back uh, yesterday, Saturday, and uh, hauled around my very, very heavy bag of equipment, but uh, it was Sorry. still worth it. No, oh, no. You know, it was uh, good practice for uh, when I take all of that equipment with me uh, next week, heading out to the UK and uh, going to catch some REAT. On uh, Sunday, I know it starts on Friday, I believe, but Sunday is the last day, and I'm going to be staying with uh, a, a very nice gentleman. Uh, if you've listened to Nick's Plain Tales episodes, uh, he did a three-part series with uh, Nigel Demery, uh, the 49ers, and uh, he has opened up his home graciously uh, to, uh, I guess he's much closer to uh, the location where uh, the uh, Royal International Air Tattoo is. And uh, I'm looking forward to meeting him in person and uh, enjoying his hospitality. I had a feeling Riyadh ran to Monday as well. Oh, maybe it does. Okay. Well. Either way. If that's the case, maybe we should have gotten a ticket for Monday. But no, 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 you, are, you are right. It ends Sunday the 15th. I've just uh, okay. pulled it up online. All right. Yeah. But uh, – well, I'm hoping to be up there on Sunday. In fact, I'm hoping to uh, – I, I kind of cheekily uh, told Nigel I'd be coming up to stay with him. <laughs> so I'm hoping to come and join you on Saturday when you get up there and okay. um, then uh, come with you to the show on Sunday. So that would be a great day. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think, I think we have some media credentials for uh, Sunday. Yep. And thanks and, to uh, Adam uh, Spink. Thank you very much indeed, Adam. Nige has a ticket, so that oh, should all work. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, uh, did you uh, catch – today has been a great day. Uh, the British Grand Prix uh, just finished a few hours ago. In, no, don't uh, tell me the result. I, I uh, haven't Oh, you yeah, didn't some, see Some it? people have not watched yet, apparently, so no, I probably no spoilers yet. Okay, I want I want to talk about. You were bowling. I'm sorry. Condolences. Competing. Competing in a bowls match all afternoon. Don't laugh. Okay. It's a very. It was a very very interesting race. Let me just put it that way. Very exciting. Very exciting. You know, I know you're 
or at least you were a NASCAR fan. I watched the um, race at Daytona last night, the 400. Uh That was one of the craziest races I've seen in a long time. I I didn't see it. I don't watch a whole lot of NASCAR, but I was glad I tuned in for that one. If you want to see some spectacular wrecks, Uh it was a good one to watch. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll catch a replay of it. Uh, You know, that's something that I've I've caught. My interest has waned on NASCAR, unfortunately, but uh, maybe I'll check out. I didn't even realize it was the Daytona race. (laughs) Well, it was, it was a 400, not the, like, not the Daytona race, but. Okay. All right. Well, cool. Uh, And then, so after the race, I went to uh, mass and then set everything up for the show. And here we are. So it's been a good day. A triple header. Um, let's see what else. I think I covered everything that has gone on with me since the last show. A little bit of flying, a little bit of visiting and other stuff. And, uh, I guess maybe, is there anything else for us to talk about? Oh, Dana's not here as you probably have noticed. And uh, I think he's somewhere out on that, uh, lake with his, uh, pontoon boat enjoying the day. So, um, anyway. Yeah. A little bit jealous of that, too. That sounds kind of nice. Yeah, it's a beautiful day here, uh, as it is in Charlotte. All right. Well, with that, oh, I mentioned, I think on the last show I mentioned this, uh, the uh, possibility of the plane tail that you did uh, regarding the VC-10 and Freddie Laker. Didn't somebody send in some some, uh, feedback to us, uh, Captain Nick, about uh, per the possibility of uh, uh, some um, misinformation or something like that? Did we ever sort all that out or not? You're muted. Sorry, Jeff. Could you just go that again? Because I was <laughs> muted. <laughs> oh, you, you weren't listening either. So so the way the mute thing works is that it only stops us from hearing you, no, but you can still probably hear us. He's just like, click, <laughs> mute. <laughs> no, I was saying that uh, I think uh, when Dana and I were doing the show together uh, last week, I mentioned just briefly that there may have been um, a correction involved, possibly because somebody, one of our listeners wrote in and seemed to think that uh, some of the information in your uh, plain tale uh, about the VC-10, the Oh uh, yes, that's exactly right. Freddie no, Laker. I'm trying to remember who it was. Do you do you have that bit of feedback to hand? Because I don't have it uh, to handy. Uh, oh no. Uh, he said um, uh, the VC Dome wasn't operated by uh, Laker's airline, uh-huh. uh, and as it turns out, uh, he is um, factually correct. Laker owned uh, a VC ten. But they didn't actually fly it uh, as part of the airline inventory. They subleased it to a different airline. So oh, okay. in, in some respects, he's right. In others, he's not quite so right. But I see. So it's I, I'd say that that's right straight at that 50-50 thing. That yeah, I would say that's, that's probably half and half. So kind of that's a technicality, kind of, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, it was uh, Ralph Walker. Now, Ralph, of course, will say that, um, no, uh, he's absolutely correct. Um, <laughs> of course. Uh, I, I just went, went by uh, what was on uh, Wiki, which is probably not a brilliant uh, idea since nothing on Wiki is guaranteed to be right. But it did have it on what? the list of uh, <laughs> aircraft that Laker. So it's a great place to do research. Two sources. <laughs> so I did my, always my t- two source check. But obviously, both sources were a little bit in error. They were probably referencing each other. 
Yeah. They could have been. On Wiki, they could have been. Well, the way I look at it is uh, that Freddie Laker had something to do with the VC-10. Oh, he had one. Well, yeah, exactly. There you go. I mean, he owned Perfect. His airline owned one. Okay. Well, the, then it's all settled. <laughs> uh, all right. So, again, you know, we're always striving to uh, be as accurate as possible. So, if we misspeak or, you know, you misunderstand something we said, please call us out on it. Because that's Absolutely. what we enjoy. Yes. We'll just strike you off our list. That's right. We'll never hear from you again. Nope, that's it. You're dead to us. <laughs> Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Okay, why the heck would we be playing the Java Jive? Well, that's the stuff that we play when we're talking about the Coffee Fund, which is your way to support the APG show financially, if you should desire. And, of course, you have the resources, too. And the folks that uh, contribute to the Coffee Fund, we call the Coffee Fund Cadre. A couple different ways to contribute to the coffee fund one is the classic method and since the last show jeff moeller stephen abru and kevin cole took up the charge and donated to the uh, coffee fund thank you very much guys and the other way to do it is via patreon you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash airline pilot guy and since the last show we have a couple of new producers actually a few Christine Estancion, Joe, Terry Liu, and Charles Gruber. If you want to join the Coffee Fund Cadre, please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we're glad you did as well. Stand by for news. Thank you. Uh, somebody reported possibly seeing him from the tower. 
Yeah, he's got his hands up. Yeah, he is uh, He is walking across the runway right now. Okay, thank you. Well, there's a new one. Yeah, first time for us, too. And now that passenger is running back toward the airplane at this time. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we've stopped all ground movement. Uh, they're going to land the outboards. We're not landing 2-7 left currently, so um, everything stopped. We've got the police on the way. Okay, they have eyes on him, and they said he's under the plane. Yeah, it sounds like he's banging on the airplane trying to get back in, but we're not opening the doors to allow him in, obviously. Um, obviously. So if you could uh, <laughs> please to hurry up. Okay, thanks. Hey, Tower Delta 192. We we now had a chance to get the, the full story from the flight attendant. What we had, apparently a passenger was outside the aircraft, or individual was outside the aircraft, got up on the wing and, was, and opened the overwing exit. So the individual who was running around on the runway was not on our aircraft, but he was outside the aircraft and attempted to get in the aircraft from the overwing exit. Okay, thank you. Copy. Southwest 2003, I just closed the runway um, per off request. Did you want to get exit the runway? Uh, uh, um, we'll, we'll, we'll watch the show from here. Okay. Yeah, Tower, just to be advised, uh, they've uh, apprehended the individual. They have him secured inside uh, one of the police cars at this time, so they should be clearing our area shortly. But again, we'll probably want operations to just make sure and give us the okay. Everything's clear around us and behind us so we can start an engine to get back to the gate. Okay, I understand. Um, let me just check with ground. I think the uh, police vehicles are on ground frequency, so I'll see if they can switch them to this, so we're all on the same frequency. You know what, on second thought, uh, just for security reasons, we don't know what this guy was doing on the outside of the airplane. We're going to leave our engine shut down. We're going to request the tow back in just to take it to the uh, extreme on the potential security issues that may have developed as a result of this individual. We're not going to start these engines. We're going to coordinate with company and get towed back in. Good call, guys. Sir, Opsat. Opsat, sir, how do you hear? Hear you loud and clear. Um, you know what's, uh, what's the next move for this uh, aircraft here at Tango? Yeah, I was trying to get everybody on the same frequency so we could communicate better. Um, Opsat, we requested a tug, um, reference to individual and any potential threat. Sir, he doesn't want to start his engine. He wants to be tugged back around. All right, copy that. We'll have a tug um, come over to him and we'll bring him to his gate. Thank you. And that was at the 192 and Ops 5. Uh, just additional, it appeared that when the individual came back toward the airplane in the uh, grass between 27 right and taxiway, uh, Tango, he dropped something in the grass, dropped a few things in the grass right there. Did he come off your airplane? Uh, well, initially we thought that was the case, but apparently no. He came up from apparently outside the airplane and attempted to enter it, the aircraft, through the overwing exit. Wow. And he was naked? Well, he had on underwear. Maybe he just wanted to cool off. A new hire. Southwest 2003, 72-6 left for departure. Go ahead and pass down the runway and make your next uh, right turn off to join Mike and hold short Juliet. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, we're just looking at stuff. Uh, we, uh, we're going to have to go back to the gate to get some more gas. Okay, Southwest 2003, uh, continue down the runway and I'll call your turn off. Uh, thank you, uh, Captain Nick, for putting all that audio together. And uh, yeah, so you're coming in from Miami, you're taxiing it, you've landed, you're Mad Dog, and uh, you're taxiing in, and all of a sudden you see a, a, a person, a passenger, somebody out running around on the taxiway with uh, just their briefs on. And uh, apparently this guy jumps onto the wing 
and uh, walks over on top of the wing, tries to bang on the uh, emergency exit doors to uh, try to, or the wing exits to try to get into the uh, cabin of the aircraft. And um, I've never heard of anything like this before. It's a new one for sure. Yeah. They ever find like out? Everyone was having a lot of fun though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll just watch the show from here. That's fine. Yeah. Did you ever find out what? Uh, did you ever, do we ever find out how the guy got on the uh, airfield in the first place? Breached uh, some Security kind somehow. of, you know, one of the fences. I think I read somewhere that said that uh, he had actually made it over, uh, uh, what do you call that, uh, barbed wire and also that circuitina uh, wire and like has razor blades really? on it. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's why he took off his clothes. I don't know. Maybe he you know, got shredded. Yeah. <laughs> He had no clothes but left to wear. Just it looks like the area of the airport that uh, is kind of on the west end of 27 right uh, down there near where the terminal is and uh, like the parking decks and stuff like that on the south side of the terminal in Atlanta. But uh, from what I could tell from the video and the and the pictures, but uh, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Well, it was such an inconvenience. Guys were running short of uh, fuel waiting yeah. for it to be sorted. So they were, you know, caused quite a lot of disruption. I suspect there were a few diversions. Probably so. Yep. Okay. Anything else to be said about that? I mean, I'm really not sure exactly what to say other than, wow, that is strange. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, just there's crazy people out there. There's really a mad, are. mad, mad, mad world. It is. And a mad, 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 mad dog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to this one. Uh-oh, whoops. Uh, a JetBlue pilot accidentally triggered a hijacking alert. Uh, a ra- quote, a radio equipment problem unquote, <laughs> yeah. on a JetBlue flight. Yeah, yeah. we're all going, uh-huh. uh-huh. Caused a security scare at JFK Airport last Tuesday evening. Uh, one of the Tuesdays before now. Uh, the flight, which was taxiing for departure for or to Los Angeles, became unresponsive to air traffic control shortly before takeoff. According to reports, the pilot accidentally entered a hijack alert in the plane's transponder, which is used to indicate an emergency. And then I my little note there. No, it does not indicate an emergency. That's another code that we use. It indicates that you're being hijacked. <laughs> so there are four-digit codes that we use for declaring an emergency if we aren't able to do so you know, over the radio or sometimes in conjunction with that. Uh, there is a code that we put in to indicate that we are having problems with our radio, which is probably what they were <laughs> the trying pilot to do. Who did it <laughs> meant to do? You know, was, and it's only one digit off. It's one digit off. But the way I was taught, and I don't know about you guys, but the the digit that is used for the radio uh, problems, if mm-hmm. you turn that digit upside down, it almost looks like a microphone, and that's how you can remember that it's the one for the radio. And oh. the other one is kind of squiggly in nature. And if you were perhaps being hijacked, you might take a squiggly course. Wow, that you... seems a pretty elaborate scheme to just remember that uh, the five is for the hijacking and the six is for uh, radio out. <laughs> yeah, but that way, you know, if you're ever in doubt, you have a m- nice mental picture of which of the two you should be. Well, then what about the one that's uh, for an emergency? What is that supposed to represent? I don't remember. I think there was something for it. But. A Sith, like one of those. Yeah, uh, like, uh, it's an airplane the Grim Reaper, along and then crashing. <laughs> okay, interesting. Actually, I think that was it. Like if you're going down. Oh, yeah, that's going correct. down. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Well, um, armed police officers and FBI agents surrounded and boarded the plane to investigate and found no security threat. Passengers were taken to a new plane after the law enforcement officers left. Uh, the aircraft was inspected and cleared with no security threat while communication was reestablished via alternate channels. <laughs> like uh, authorities responded out of an abundance of caution. The aircraft was cleared and returned to the gate for inspection. Yeah, so ba- basically after this has happened, no matter how much you tell them, no, 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 it's okay. We just kind of screwed it up and, you know, we're, we're good. We actually turned up the volume now on this radio and we can, I mean, whatever happened. Uh, or, uh, you know. We found uh, the right frequency. We, we flipped the right switch uh, that somebody bumped and uh, now we're on the correct frequency and it's okay. It's cool. But then, then they're going, well, I don't know. Is it? How do we know for you know? sure? Can you prove right. yep. to us? I think the only way so, we can prove it is by yeah, yeah. your aircraft. Well, Han Solo tried it in the detention wing on the Death Star, and he didn't get away with it. So, <laughs> Good point. Good so, point. Uh, yeah, one of our aircraft on Acme Red did this by accident, uh, coming across the pond, and um, got met by some Canadian F-18s who, uh, yeah, who um, uh, quietly escorted them to the nearest uh, airfield. Where they then th- sat around and tried to explain what had happened. <laughs> were they were they experiencing radio issues as well, or what? Uh, they were experiencing button pressing issues. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, don't let the flight attendant sit on the center console. There you go. And you know, it was always uh, just with the old style transponders. We were actually like turning dials to move numbers. I always mm-hmm. taught to use caution not to go through those four digits as you're going to your correct transponder code. It's a little bit easier with like the digital ones where you just push the button that corresponds to the number that you want to enter in that space. Yeah, we have both. We have both kinds on the airplane that uh, Dana and I fly. The ones that still have the knobs and the ones that have the, you know, the buttons to push. To be fair, this wasn't finger trouble with the box. This was finger trouble with an odd switch that the guy found at a funny little corner of the flight deck and didn't Didn't know know quite what it did. What does this do? (laughs) (laughs) It's even better. That's hilarious. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, (laughs) That's just to give it a try, right? Yeah. Instead of maybe asking when I'm on the ground or the next time. Well, yeah, there was nothing in any of the documents about it because the switch was a trial that was supposed to have been deactivated when they decided not to Uh. press ahead with it. But actually the deactivation work hadn't been done, although it had been written up. Uh, so when he pressed it, it did what it was supposed to do. <laughs> wow. You know, every, any, anytime I'm in an airplane and I see something and I'm wondering what it does. Maybe just don't. don't. I just yeah. go, I always opt for not, don't touch it. If the plane <laughs> is flying well without any yeah. urban. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't want to find out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting. All right. Well. You'll remember we talked about this uh, incident on a Transavia flight um, not too long ago where there was some guy, happens to be this guy, kind of a famous guitarist, a Russian guitarist, and uh, he was, uh, he he smelled, uh, he was quite stinky, stenchy, and uh, they ended up uh, diverting to Portugal and... uh, Got him off the airplane. Well, it turns out 
that uh, he had a uh, necrotic tissue disease, according to the Dutch newspaper De Telegraph. The unfortunate passenger uh, has now been named 58-year-old Andre Sushilin, a Russian rock guitarist. And let's see, it's now emerged that the smell was not caused by a lack of hygiene, but rather tissue necrosis. Am I pronouncing that right? uh, Yep, that's correct. Okay. When the body's cells destroy themselves using their own enzymes, usually following an infection, after being removed from the plane in Faro, Portugal, uh, he wrote on his Facebook page, the tragic and comic component of this whole situation is that I caught a disease, which, let's not say how and why, of course everybody's wondering, "Hmm?" Uh, makes a person quite stinky. Suchelin was taken to the hospital for treatment, but his condition condition deteriorated and he fell into a coma despite multiple surgeries attempting to stop the infection he passed away on june 25th so a sad ending to that kind of odd story now we kind of hinted that uh, when we were talking about this on the show a couple of weeks ago that uh, you know it could be i think maybe steph you mentioned that it, it nope, may it not was, be it just was nick for... who mentioned that it oh, was, it was nick. potentially a medical condition and to be honest this is not one that i was actually thinking of yeah. Um, because this is kind of a, this is a pretty rare thing. Um, you know, it's funny. They told him before he left uh, his vacation spot that he had an ordinary beach infection and they gave him some antibiotics. Well, clearly that was not the case at all. Um, and I can't imagine, it must've been quite a bit of tissue necrosis to cause such a foul stench mm. really. Um, so what yeah. exactly is, uh, is just your skin is just kind of dying? Yeah, basically. And skin and subcutaneous tissues, and it can eat into muscle and bone. And I mean, that's it's a really it, it smells bad when that's going on. But you know, for it to be that advanced, that it would cause that much of a problem on an aircraft by the time he boarded it, um, he must not have been feeling very good at all when he got yeah. on the plane. And probably I'm quite, if he, yeah. I'm wondering if when he, he last had his uh, dressings changed or whatever. It, uh, or, yeah, I mean, what kind of medical attention he actually got before he left. It doesn't yeah. sound like it was nearly appropriate enough. But Yeah, he, he I'm mean, sure. You never know it's the, the kind uh, of thing where, of this story. yeah, I think it's the kind of thing where, you know, if, if you would hope that if you were the one suffering from that, if you were the one who had contracted that, you would recognize that perhaps this was a little bit more than initially thought and you would go back for additional treatment. But you know, people have get home itis too. It's like, well, I'll just get home and take care of it and it won't be a big deal. And sometimes these things can progress really, really rapidly as well. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah. That is very sad. Very sad. Okay. Well, as I said, uh, he was a respected professional guitarist and his band C major was a founding member of the Moscow rock laboratory, a trailblazing institution that helped bring rock and roll to Russia in the 1980s. More recently, he worked in journalism and sound engineering, as well as writing music for theater shows. So I'm sure he'll be very much missed by his uh, fan-based and family and friends. All right. Um, Anything more to say about that? Nope. Many of you, by the way, thank you. Um, Several people sent in feedback regarding that. And... uh, we thank you all for that. This is an interesting one. Did you have a chance to look at this uh, video of the Korean Air 777 uh, landing at uh, Narita? Oh, yeah. Yes, I have seen Next this one. time someone shows me a picture of an Airbus wheel that's gone square, I'm going <laughs> to reply with a picture of this 777 bogey. Yeah, so he's coming in for 
he or she, uh, the pilot, is coming in for landing at Narita. We'll put the uh, link to the video in the show notes so you can all watch and cringe. As you see, obviously, you know, Narita is always quite windy, it seems. Uh, they were coming in and the winds were quite strong. I don't have the, the METAR here, do I, anywhere? Oh, wait a minute. No, we do. Yeah, we've got it. Uh, 210, 14, gusting 24. There was 17, gusting 28 at some point. Okay. Uh, Do you know what what the uh, how the land, the runways are oriented? Yeah, there? one six. Okay. Uh, I think uh, so. So it was, it was a significant crosswind, a yep. gusty crosswind, crosswind. Um, and uh, as you'll see when you watch the video coming in, and at some point, if you look at the uh, flight controls, you can see that uh, whoever was actuating them kind of almost looks like they got into a PIO or something. They got a little bit behind or out of sync with the airplane trying to uh, keep it from slamming down the first time, kind of ballooned a little bit. And then the second time it came down, it uh, came down hard on the, uh, especially on the right main landing gear. And uh, you'll remember that the triple seven bogies main wheel uh, bogies are uh, six tires on each side. Is that right? One, two, three, four. Yeah. And the trailing two, I guess on the, uh, let's see, that'd be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. Uh, wheels 11 and 12, is that right? Uh, were the ones that uh, kind of got the brunt of the uh, impact and basically broke the uh, a, uh, the axle for that particular uh, pair of wheels on the right main. And uh, the pictures will show that it's quite a mess. Lots of sparks. and uh, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's going to fly for a little while at least. Yeah. Time to replace the... At least the right main landing gear bogey on that jet. Yeah. Narita, it, it looks like it's a benign area. It's relatively flat around there. There's there's no hills or something to make rotors cre create turbulence. But it has a little bit of a reputation as ha having some difficult winds, and uh, some some the winds seem to shift quite a lot. Um, so despite the fact that you know, generally speaking, it's it's a relatively benign airport to go into. Uh, I, I and a few friends have certainly, uh, you know, met some difficult conditions going in there at times. Really weird, strange winds. So whether it's a factor of the area or the latitude or what, I don't know. But it can be quite a difficult place. It's not the first time that there have been accidents related to winds at that airport. And uh, I'm thinking of... Uh, a relatively recent one, I don't know, within in the last few years, a, a FedEx um, MD-11 uh, crashed. And I'm not sure if anybody survived that one. Um, it was a pretty uh, pretty nasty accident. I think it was Narita. Um, they say that the mm -hmm. uh, MD-11 is quite, uh, quite a handful to uh, land in gusty crosswinds. Uh, I've never flown it myself, so I don't know. But uh, anyway... I just thought about that. And uh, somebody told me to cue the go-around song. So I guess, you know, in this case where you're coming down and things kind of get out of whack, uh, you can always, you can always go around, can always go around right? Indeed. You can always go around. All right. There you have it. Enough of that one. Next one. This isn't interesting. Or as uh, Paul Harvey used to say, this is a strange. Actually, not really. Boeing has decided to uh, form a partnership with 
Embraer, a Brazilian company, under the preliminary deal, Boeing will own 80% of a partnership controlling Embraer's commercial airplane and services business, while the Brazilian manufacturer holds 20%. The company said in a statement on Thursday, the tie-up caps years of talks between the two while extending the duopoly held by Boeing and Airbus SE as competitive threats emerge from rivals in Russia, Japan, and China. And uh, the, uh, the Embraer's E-Jet family is being added to the portfolio. So they make um, the, uh, the 170, 175, the 190, 195, and then the E versions of those, of those models. And uh, that's going to be uh, kind of offered, I guess, as part of the Boeing lineup of airplanes, just as Airbus and, uh, added Bombardier's C-Series on the 1st of July. So, uh, and interestingly, they said that a lot of this, you know, I, when I first saw this, I'm thinking, well, obviously that's a, a reaction to what happened between um, Airbus and Bombardier. Uh, but they said that uh, actually it may come from the threat that they're seeing from uh, some of these uh, manufacturers in uh, China and Russia. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. You'd, you'd think they'd be able to make their own, but uh, apparently they think Embraer's might be better, I guess. Yeah, just like... Uh, well, if know. somebody else is already doing what you'd like to do, mm-hmm. yeah. instead of trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, apparently those are pretty nice airplanes. Uh, everybody that I've talked to who have uh, flown the uh, Embraer uh, 170 through 195 series, I don't know if that's the right way to refer to them, uh, but the, uh, uh, the, the engine, or the wing-mounted engine uh, airplanes uh, are are very um, uh, complimentary. I've flown on a lot of them, not flown them myself, but they are comfortable. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, four point seven five billion dollars. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. Yep. Okay. Well, we'll see how that goes. And anything else to say about that? No, I've seen a lot of talk about it, but I'm not sure I understand all the business ins and outs of it. So I'm just going to keep my opinions to myself for the moment because that's kind of all they are. Yeah. It'll be another nice airplane with Boeing stamped on it. <laughs> yeah, we won't say anything about the C-Series having an Airbus name stamped on it. It's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that was to save them. Uh-huh. Well, you know, that's what everybody, uh, they kind of formed the uh, narrative uh, around that. But I'm wondering... If it now has more to do with the fact that they see this threat from manufacturers on uh, uh, in different parts of the world uh, as as the greatest threat, I don't know. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll find out as time goes on, I guess. Yeah. And finally, uh, the last item in the news folder: Egypt Air Flight MS eight hundred four French investigators says fire. French investigators says fire likely cause. I think I would have said French investigators say fire likely cause. Oh, well. Uh, The crash of Egypt Air Flight 804 in 2016 was probably caused by a fire in the cockpit, French investigators say. They said onboard recorders suggested that the blaze had spread rapidly through the plane. The findings contradict Egypt's earlier statements that explosives have been found on victims' remains, suggesting that the aircraft had been bombed. Um, 66 passengers and crew died when the flight from Paris to Cairo came down over the eastern Mediterranean. France's Civil Aviation Accident Bureau, known as the BEA, Bureau d'enquête et d'analyse. 
said in a press release on Friday. The most likely hypothesis is that a fire broke out in the cockpit while the airplane was flying at its cruise altitude and that the fire spread rapidly, resulting in the loss of control of the airplane. The agency said that the crew could be heard discussing a fire on the cockpit voice recorder and that systems on board had detected smoke inside the aircraft. Egyptian officials previously said that the crash, which came seven months after a Russian plane was brought down by a bomb over the Sinai Peninsula, was likely to have been a terrorist accident. So uh, the the, uh, article goes on to say that the BEA has said it is awaiting Egypt's final report into the crash to understand the differences in their conclusions. And and sort of related to that, a few episodes back, uh, there was a group of people suing Apple uh, for uh, they they said that an iPhone or a iPad caught on fire and caused this uh, this whole tragedy. So interesting. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any uh, evidence for that. Uh, as I listened to uh, this week in tech, they discussed this and uh, they came to the conclusion that uh, it looked like people were just firing lawsuits at those with the deepest pockets in the hope to uh, get some recompense. Yep. Yeah, that, that never happens, does it? No, sad. that like? can't be right. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see. We'll, uh, it'll be, it will be interesting to see what uh, the uh, Egyptians' final report says and how it compares with the, uh, the French investigators' re- reports. Okay, that's, uh, that's it for the news. Now, the best part of the show, your feedback. <laughs> Incoming message. All right. Tom, a new syndrome sufferer. Oh, we talked about, we uh, played this on the last episode, and uh, he was basically asking us, and and uh, we were thinking that uh, Captain Nick would probably have been the person, the best person to answer this question. I'm not going to replay his audio feedback, uh, just go back to uh, episode 330 to listen to Tom Harris's feedback. Yeah, but I, basically, I can describe it, basically. Yeah. He'd watched an aircraft come close uh, enough for him to go, oh, I wonder what that's doing. And he was following it on flight radar. Uh, and it was a uh, Virgin Atlantic uh, A330 that uh, was doing like 310 knots in the descent below 10,000 feet went straight under the hold, um, piled into uh, the ILS, uh, threw everything down, slowed up and landed. So he was asking the question as to why why Virgin Atlantic seemed to get priority treatment, seemed to be able to break the 250 below 10,000 foot speed uh, regulation and why they didn't have to go in the holding pattern. And although it's quite common that, of course, uh, a, a superior airline like Virgin Atlantic would get uh, priority treatment uh, just because their passengers are the nicest and they they want to delay them the smallest amount. Uh, in this case, it wasn't uh, down to that. It was, in fact, uh, I've discovered having uh, contacted a few uh, guys uh, at Heathrow uh, Tower, and thank you very much indeed. You know who you are, much appreciated. Um, it was indeed a medical emergency, uh, which was the suggestion that uh, Tom put forward. Uh, the passenger had a suspected cardiac problem, so something wrong with his heart. A, uh, the A flight had declared a pan-pan, 
Uh, so that's a uh, an emergency level of urgency. And uh, the aircraft was given a high-speed descent and brought straight into land. Uh, and presumably medical facilities were there and available for uh, the um, unwell passenger as soon as they got onto the gate. So I hope that answers the question. Can't find out um, the result of every single a slight anomaly on every aircraft, but this one we were lucky. We managed to find someone who knew what had happened. All right. Yeah, that's what everybody suspect, suspected was the case. Yeah. So thanks for following up on that, Nick. Ah, no problem. And thanks to the guys at Heathrow. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, number two, uh, BA incident at Las Vegas. We also talked about this, I believe, on the last show. This was sent in by Steve Hurst. See what happens when you're not here on the show to answer these questions? We have to cover them more than once. Oh, no. Yeah. Anyway, Steve uh, was writing in to tell us about the uh, final report on the incident, uh, the the British Airways incident, the 777 uh, at Las Vegas. And uh, they kind of analyzed uh, the uh, how the crew reacted to the uh, the emergency. And um, uh, he was wondering about what we thought about their conclusions regarding uh, the fact that uh, the checklist wasn't followed exactly. And um, anyway, uh, wondering if you might have anything to say or add to... Uh, you know, what, what they came up with here on this uh Yeah, well, I listened report. to your reply, Jeff, uh, you and Dan. I thought you, you had it down pat. Uh, I think it was a case of an unexpected event, uh, particularly since the guy was his last ever flight. You know, he'd gone through probably an entire career, perhaps without too many major emergencies. And uh, the last thing he was expecting was this. Um one would hope that uh, training would kick in because we do get these kind of incidents fairly regularly in the simulator. Um, but it looked like he um, didn't entirely complete checklists and uh, skipped a few actions. Um, but that, it's not just the captain's um, problem; it's everyone on the flight deck. Uh, they, you know, they, everyone re either reads or responds to a checklist. Anyone can stand and go. We're not doing this right. Hang on. Uh, there were lots of people who could have spotted, uh, or a couple of people who could have spotted that there was an engine still running, this sort of thing. Um, and uh, the evacuation, I think there was a discussion about the evacuation. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think having said that, there um, is a review going to happen uh, concerning uh, passenger evacuations and perhaps, uh, you know, the system currently used isn't realistic enough to get genuine evacuation times. Having said that, this evacuation occurred, uh, uh, it was well controlled once the evacuation was called and everyone got off the aircraft safely, which to me is the proof of the pudding. Um, wasn't done our daily. And and the thing I love about our industry is that uh, it's a no jeopardy. If you do something like this and a mistake occurs, what we do is we learn from it. Uh, and, and I know that's such a cliche nowadays because every time any organization makes a mistake, they say, oh, lessons were learned. But in the airline industry, that is really true because 
Um, it'll be amplified in training. Um, people will so right. Okay, now this was a problem with this, and we we all study and watch and see what happens to our colleagues when they're in these situations, and we really do take it on board when um, we see uh, a slip up, uh, even if it didn't cause any. Uh, problem really for the passengers or uh, you know it was just really a a problem perhaps for the fire guys trying to work out what to do with the engine that was still running it might have been a slight uh, might have been a problem for the evacuation might have delayed it slightly because they couldn't get out quickly enough because there was an engine still running a little bit of confusion there so we all pick up on that and we all sit back and go right when this happens to me, not if, because the best thing to always to think is it will happen to me one day, I need to be on my metal, um, you're better prepared for it the next time round, rather than having these incidents hidden under the carpet and uh, so that no one finds out about them and no one gets embarrassed. Well, that's not our way. We bear our chests and we accept the, the consequences of uh, our actions uh, and uh, we are prepared to... Um, you know, uh, be fully debriefed and then move on with the state of knowledge that uh, we will do a better job next time. Well, and the reason you want to go back and study these types of things or at least look at the sequence of events that happens is because you can train for simulated emergencies all day long. But when you have an actual emergency, things don't always play out in exactly the same order as you might expect. There might be things that are way outside the realm of the unforeseen and that can throw a wrench in even the most rehearsed uh, procedures and like nick said you just want to be aware of what has happened in the past to people who have had that happen to them so that you can mentally rehearse that in your own mind even if that's not the way that you usually would practice it in a more standardized environment yep exactly yes. right very well said speaking of ev evacuation ev ev evacuations evacuations yeah um <laughs> I, you know, we, I, we talked about an evacuation uh, some time ago where uh, it involved the airplane that I fly and there were folks standing on the wing and saying, you know, the, the slide didn't deploy and we were kind of making a little, you know, making fun of them for not knowing that there aren't slides, uh, the overwing exits on um, a mad dog. And um, so the last time that I deadheaded, I pulled out that uh, safety card and looked at it. And I was sitting in the uh, exit row where uh, one of the wing exits wa were, and uh, I was looking through it, and I'm thinking, you know, they don't really say anything about it in the actual safety briefing itself, and you really have to look hard at a very small <laughs> drawing uh, if you are going out the overwing exit on the airplane that I fly and what you're supposed to do if it's a, a ditching situation and what you're supposed to do if it's a on on land kind of a uh, incident and looking at it, I'm thinking I can see why people wouldn't really know exactly what to do if they went out the overwing exit, unless they specifically were, you know, looking for the instructions for that, uh, sitting there. You know what I'm saying? It was like, I know exactly what you're saying. Cause I did the same thing the last time I flew. Um, and on an aircraft that I've flown a lot on a Boeing 737. Mm -hmm. And, uh, because the company I was flying on operates a couple different variants, uh, currently the 700, 800, and MAX 8. There are a couple different, <clears throat> excuse me, variants of how the uh, safety equipment is configured. The doors all open the same way now, so you don't have to worry about, like, you know, pulling down the overwing door and throwing it out the window. It's just a handle that you pull, and it... And um, it kind of hinges up, so. right? Yeah. But 
depending on the aircraft that you're on and depending on the route that it's flying, some of them do have rafts in different places that you could potentially take with you, but not on every aircraft. And there are several different types of rafts and slides, and they all have different procedures for how you would remove them from the actual aircraft once you were outside the aircraft. I'm looking at it, I'm going, there's no way anyone reads this. I'm the only person mm -hmm. reading this ever. Yeah, so I I, <laughs> I looked at my seat assignment and I specifically asked for a window because I always enjoy, you know, as I mentioned before, I like having control of the window shade. And I got to my row and uh, there was a lady and her husband sitting in the window seat in the middle seat. And and they she looked at me, am I sitting in the wrong seat? And I said, oh, that's, that's okay. I'll just sit here on the uh, aisle seat. And so we're sitting there having a conversation and I said, you know, if we have an emergency evacuation, <laughs> uh, this is what is going to happen. And this is what we're going to do at the door. And this is the way you're going to go out when you get out on the wing. And uh, I felt like, like I needed had, to, like, to say something. Pardon me? Was she looking at you like you had three eyeballs? Like, no, she was. Uh, they were. Oh, okay. They were not seasoned flyers at all, okay. and they actually okay. seemed to to appreciate my interest in, uh, you know, informing them that uh, this is what we're going to have to do. And 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 as I said, that's when I was looking at the uh, uh, the safety card. I'm going, you know, <laughs> I think that it could be a little bit more, you know, uh, explicit or uh, maybe something mentioned in the actual uh, safety. Uh, video or the demonstration of the flight yeah. attendants like yeah, maybe that, specifically that, on that this aircraft here's what we have pet peeves those videos and the safety cards there uh depending on the airline they are way too cartoonish they're way too divorced from the actual airplane they're way too jazzed up uh you know um and you know you don't get a real um pictorial indication of what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to go, what it actually looks like on the aircraft you're sitting on. You often get, you know, pretty pictures and weird uh, illustrations of what an airplane uh, is like and what you might be expected to do. Um, and the same is reflected on those cards. They're, they're often too small to read easily. They're often too cartoonish to be able to see exactly what is required. And I think it's time to uh, just bring those down a notch or two. Mm -hmm. And I th realize there is, a, uh, there is a good reason for having an engaging video and something that is uh, fun to look at, the safety card. But you've got to meet that against the information it's trying to impart to make sure that it is clear, factual, and accurate for the aircraft you're traveling on, what you need to do in an emergency. Yes. Agree. Um, and perhaps, I was just thinking, uh, you know, the on the airplanes that have overwing exits, and people are sitting in the exit rows, uh, the flight attendants are supposed to personally brief everybody. And that's what happened in this case. You know, this, do you understand that you're sitting in an emergency exit row? And do you understand what? Verbal yeah. Confirmation. And you have to say, yes. yes. <laughs> you can't just nod your head. I mean, they're expecting you to say the word yes, uh, you know, that you're willing to, uh, you know, be responsible for this. And it seems to me that it wouldn't be that difficult to uh, to mention, oh, by the way, you know, if we end up aborting a takeoff, this is what you do. You go out this way and you turn right. Or if you're on the side, you go this way. You know, you go on the back side of the wing and slide down the flaps. Yep. But, uh, you know, I don't know. No, that level of detail never gets mentioned. Mm -mm. I sit in the exit row quite a bit. Yeah. And there's varying um, levels of instruction that go on as well. Right. It's like there's a bare minimum standard and then there's like the above and beyond additional information. 
that sometimes mm-hmm. gets passed along. Huh. Well, all interesting stuff. Thank you, Steve, again, for uh, bringing the uh, report to our attention. And uh, we'll move on to the next item in the feedback folder. Uh, this is from Mike, Mike Dell, who is also the host of uh, several podcasts. Uh, he's a uh, he's my podcasting guru. I didn't know he was doing one called the Fast Food History Podcast. I didn't know either until I was looking oh, at his I'm feedback. Have to, that's right I up haven't... my alley, Mike. <laughs> I'm going to subscribe right now. <laughs> so yeah, fastfoodhistory.org. I have not listened to it yet either, uh, but you might want to check it out. All that all the links will be in the show notes. But anyway, I know Mike from the fact that he's a longtime uh, listener and follower of the Airline Pilot Guy Show. And uh, I, I know that he has been uh, involved in the podcasting world for quite some time. He's an expert, and he does a show called Podcast Help Desk. And also, uh, he has uh, something called Mike's, Mike Dell's World Studio slash Podcast. And now, it's not the same Mike Dell that uh, from Dell Computer, although he probably wishes that he were that Mike Dell. But um, he was also um, in the U.S. Air Force years ago as a navigator, and. So that's the reason why he uh, likes listening to our show, and he sometimes contributes to our show as well from his previous history and experience and expertise. And he writes, attached is a couple of recordings I did uh, of sidebar articles that were printed in December 1987 Air Force magazine by a guy named Bruce Callender. Bruce was a nav, Bombardier, I said now I'm going to say Bombardier, but in this case it's Bombardier. In World War II and Korea, Bruce was also a writer for Air Force Magazine, along with other publications for 30-plus years. Bruce Callender passed away last year at the ripe old age of 94. Wow. Nice long life. The main article was called Navigators with a Difference. Uh, The article was about the change at undergraduate navigator training, uh, UNT, at Mather Air Force Base in California, from a one-class-fits-all to S-U-N-T, SUNT, he says, nice acronym, which stood for Specialized U-N-T, which is, again, undergraduate navigator training. Anyway, interesting stuff he was talking about 30 years ago. Imagine that. And, uh, again, that's Mike Dell. And so he uh, recorded a couple of these articles for us. And I thought what we'd do is play uh, this in a two-parter. We'll do part one on this episode, and then we'll uh, play the second one in the next show. Hopefully I won't forget. And so take it away, Mike Dell. The eternal triangle. In every airplane, something, either a human or a black box, must resolve the problem of the wind. Whether it is done by a human navigator or a collection of computer-based electronic gadgets, getting from point A to point B is still largely an exercise in basic geometry. It is a problem almost as old as travel itself. Point A is the starting place. Whether it be the Spanish port of Palos in 1492, a World War II airfield in England, or a modern Mac base in the United States. Point B is the destination, be it the Indies or the New World, an industrial target in Germany, or some distant air base in the Pacific Ocean. The problem is the wind, that moving mantle of air endlessly circling the earth. Early explorers, it was both the source of power and the force that blew them off course. To flyers, it is the element which they move, and that, for good or ill, helps move them. 
A friendly tailwind speeds their flight, a hostile headwind slows their progress and gulps their precious fuel. A crosswind can send them miles out of their way, perhaps into a disaster. The trick that navigators have known for centuries is to steer slightly to the left or right of the destination so that the wind will push them back on the desired course. The question is, how much to the right or the left is enough? The answer is a technique called dead reckoning or less formally, solving the wind triangle. It amounts to making a scale drawing of the trip to include a picture of the wind. All it takes is a piece of paper, a pencil, a ruler, and something to measure angles with, such as a protractor. Here's how it works. Make one dot and label it point A, your starting point. Draw a line from it in the direction you plan to go. Make it due north in this case to keep things simple. Now make a second dot five inches out on this line and label it point B, your destination. Again, to keep things simple, we'll say that the line represents 500 miles, one inch for every 100 miles. Next, decide how fast you'll be flying. Let's call it 100 miles an hour so we can get there in five hours. That's your airspeed. Incidentally, we don't know yet how fast you'll be flying over the ground. Now, draw the wind. Normally, you'd have to call the Weather Bureau to find out what it looks like, but we'll say it's blowing from the southeast at 25 miles an hour. Draw a line from point B in that direction. You can probably guess pretty much where it should go. If you want to be accurate, the angle is 135 degrees north towards the lower right-hand corner of your paper. Now you can see the direction of the wind but you also want to know how much it will affect you. Remember that we figured out that you'd be out for about five hours and that the wind would be blowing at 25 miles an hour. Five hours worth of wind will total 125 miles. You must measure an inch and a quarter along the wind line and make a third dot. Call that point C. Note the wind is blowing from point C to point B. However, not the other way around. You can draw a little arrow on it to remind you. Now draw a third line from point A to point C. Admittedly, you don't want to go there, but point C is where you want to aim the airplane. So why head for a place you don't want to go? Because while you're flying toward imaginary point C, the wind will be pushing you to the left and you'll actually be moving dutifully along the line AB to your destination. Your drawing can tell you something else too. Look at the wind line. C to B. While it is pushing you slightly to the left, it is also pushing you slightly from behind. That means you'll be traveling a little faster than 100 miles an hour that you figured. Instead of taking five hours to reach point B, you'll probably make it in about four and a quarter. This time, the wind is a friendly force. Anyway, you now know how to get from A to B in the shortest route. Well, that's not exactly how a professional navigator would do it. He or she would use an aerial chart a circular slide rule and approach the thing a little differently. There are some calculations involved, compensating for compass errors and weather changes, for example, but it gives you the general idea of dead reckoning. It's a very old approach and still basic to the whole process of navigation. One way or another, navigators still have to know the same basic things, where they are starting, where they are going, in which way they have to aim so that the wind won't send them somewhere else. Something, whether it's a nervous human or a dispassionate black box, forever solving and then resolving the ancient puzzle of the wind triangle. Very good. Speaking of wind, uh, we see that Captain Al is in the chat room. Welcome. Well timed. Yes. Um, you you heard, heard him in the chat room? Yeah. Hi, hi <laughs> well, Captain yeah. Al. Hi, Captain Al. 
Yeah, it's it's windy in the chat room. Um, so I hope that everybody was paying attention to what Mike uh, just uh, read, and uh, because we're gonna, there's gonna be a test. Ooh, pop uh, quiz, excellent. Yeah. So, actually, I'm making that up. There's not going to be a test. Anyway, thanks, Mike. Uh, the uh, next one that he sent in was called "The Art of Navigation." We'll play that on next week's show, whenever that is. Could be next week. Maybe not. Two weeks, you decide. <laughs> yeah, the next, by the way, I should mention that uh, the next couple of weeks going to be traveling to the UK and I will have the recording gear with me and uh, our intention is to record a show. Um, I'm just not sure if it's going to be just one while I'm over there or two or what, but uh, we'll, it'll be a very dynamic situation, I'm sure. Excellent. All right. Perhaps another installment of the uh, APG in Nick's garden. You never know. Yes. You never know. Okay. Thanks, Mike. And again, all the links to his podcasts, uh, his uh, World Studio Podcast, Podcast Help Desk, and Fast Food History Podcast will be in the show notes. Yeah. Just subscribe this very second to Podcast Help Desk. So I'm looking forward to listening to my first. Excellent. And Fast Food. I forgot the name of it already. I just subscribed, but I'm off the page. What was it? Food History, I think. History podcast? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm interested in. Okay. Now we move on to Nick. Not this Nick right here. Not one of the APG crew, but uh, Nick. uh, Well, I don't know what Nick's last name is here. Let me see if I can figure it out. Uh, It is Nick Camacho. He sent in some feedback and he says, hi, guys, just listen to APG 329 and had a couple of thoughts on the Bonanza crash covered from 2016. It's uh, a bit longer, but includes a bit of discussion about a more recent crash of a similar nature. I've included a link to the advisory circular that I reference, as well as a couple of accident reports for the accident discussed. And uh, those links will be in the show notes. And uh, again, this is Nick Camacho from Air Capital. And... Uh, the audio with his wonderful feedback is coming up right now. Oh, before I do that, the, um, Bonanza crash that he's talking about, uh, we discussed, it was the one where the guy was taking off when another, uh, aircraft was landing in the opposite direction. And then he kind of, kind of prematurely, uh, tried to get the Bonanza airborne and then kind of went off to the side and crashed into a hangar. Hi, APG crew. This is uh, Nick from Wichita, the air capital. Uh, I just wanted to touch on a, a couple of items regarding uh, uncontrolled airports and, and operations uh, regarding uncontrolled airports. After um, the chat you guys did about the Bonanza crash on takeoff, I think back in 2016 in Arkansas, um, I just wanted to, uh, a couple things kind of, uh, got me about that one. First of all, you know, obviously watching the, the video is pretty, uh, tough. And it reminds me anytime you see an airplane like that, it reminds me of the Bob Hoover, you know, saying that you have to fly the airplane as far into the crash as possible. Uh, you know, and what he meant by that is always, always maintaining control of the aircraft, keeping the aircraft under positive control. So you don't want the airplane to depart in a stall or in a spin or something where you're hitting the ground at, uh, whatever, attitude um you end up in you know when i look at the video of that bonanza he uh, he was obviously in a tough situation um trying to uh evade the opposite direction traffic 
and uh, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. but you know, he got the airplane in a situation where he, uh, he wasn't able to control it. He wasn't able to, uh, control his impact with the ground. And, you know, it, uh, he would have been better off, you know, even if he would have gone off to one side of the runway and it's, it's such a hard, uh, call to make in the heat of the moment. Cause you're going to tear up the airplane and, and usually, um, lose the airplane, but, you know, he would have been better off going off to one side, even if it meant, you know, pulling the throttle, just anticipating basically a, like a skidding, um, failure off into the little infield area on either side of the runway. Um, but keeping the wings level, keeping the, um, energy that he's dissipating into the ground lower with kind of a, a skidding, um, off runway incident, as opposed to getting the nose up high, stalling the airplane and kind of losing control to where he, he no longer had any impact on the outcome of the incident. Um, that was my first thought. The other thing I was just going to mention is, uh, I don't know how, how well versed, uh, the listeners are in uncontrolled airport operations. I know Steph has touched on it a couple times. Um, but I was just going to real quick, um, mention that the FAA, uh, just in March of this year, actually updated the advisory circular where they provide a lot of, uh, guidance on uncontrolled airport operations. That advisory circular is uh, AC90-66B, um, and basically what it does is it touches on what's regulatory versus advisory. Uh, you know, the FAA has um, regulations, um, and then they provide advisory guidance that is not regulatory in nature, which is what they say, but is generally a good idea. And a, uh, a great example of that is uh, how the traffic patterns work at uncontrolled airports. Um, most, uh, well, all uncontrolled airports have traffic patterns. Um, the majority of them are, um, they're all, uh, rectangles based around the, uh, runway. So the runway and departure is going to be, you're basically on takeoff. And then as soon as you're off the ground, you're basically in what's called the upwind leg of the traffic pattern. Uh, when passing into the runway and you turn 90 degrees, you're now in the crosswind leg, the next 90 degree turn puts you in the downwind leg. That's the long leg opposite the runway. The next 90 degree turn puts you on the base leg. And that's the leg where you are going perpendicular to the runway, uh, right before you turn what's called final. Um, the last leg where you're lined up with the runway and coming into land. Uh, so that advisory circular, um, like I said, it defines traffic patterns, gives you, uh, little tidbits of information like the base leg should be set up to where you're on approximately a 45 degree, um, angle from the end of the runway. Uh, and a regulatory piece of information is that the traffic pattern is published and defined for either left traffic or right traffic, which means you're making left turns or right turns. And that information is regulatory in nature. So if you're flying at an airport that has, a standard traffic pattern. So there's nothing noted on the charts or in the AFD. You have to make left-hand turns. The traffic pattern is left-hand traffic. Uh, some airports for airspace reasons or noise abatement reasons may have right-hand traffic, um, which means you'll be making right-hand turns. And that's notated with an RP on the, on the uh, sectional and you are required to make right-hand turns. You cannot show up to a, an airport and choose to make left-hand turns if it has a right-hand pattern because, uh, that information, because that's, uh, regulatory or regulation. However, how you enter the traffic pattern, 
the information given by the FAA is advisory in nature. So the FAA, uh, the most desired entry into a traffic pattern is a 45-degree uh, entry to the downwind. So basically you're flying towards the airport on a 45-degree angle, um, and you're going to be turning into the downwind leg or that long leg opposite the runway. Uh, they also talk about uh, midfield entries, um, what they call the midfield entry, which you fly over the airport and then you do a 225 degree teardrop uh, onto the downwind or the midfield alternate entry. And this is the one that I use most often at the uncontrolled airport I'm based at due to some of the airspace restrictions we have around, which is fly over the airport at pattern altitude and then enter the downwind from that uh, basically 90 degree entry coming across the top of the airport. Um, some people who don't do a lot of training at uncontrolled airports or are not real familiar with um, pattern entries um, may not be aware of that, the midfield entry, but I really like it because uh, you're coming over the airport. It gives you a really good opportunity to look down at the runway at both ends of the runway at um, both run-up areas, taxiways, and then also directly in front of you, you have um, good view of the downwind leg and the base leg. Uh, and it really, t in my opinion, it gives you the best uh, view of all of the action on the airport. Now, uh, if you are only taught the 45 degree entry, you may not know to look for the downwind or for the midfield entry traffic. And, and so that can get kind of... Um, dicey, I suppose. But now with this new advisory circular, uh, the FAA has actually published that uh, midfield entry approach uh, as a alternative acceptable practice. Um, straight in approaches are legal because you're not entering the traffic pattern is what this advisory circular says. And that's mostly jets. I try to avoid that. Um, but if you know, if you're a jet flying directly towards basically on like a 30 mile final what is what it would end up being you know you can fly straight in and land on the runway you don't have to enter the traffic pattern um, but you have to be aware that at an uncontrolled airport you may have nordo airplanes airplanes operating without radios um, you may have all sorts of things happening um, and the nordo is another good point that stuff made uh, radio communications are important but they're not required at uncontrolled airports uh, i have a beach debonair which is very similar to the accident airplane in Arkansas. It's a uh, you know, four-seat complex airplane, moves pretty fast. I have two radios. I have an audio panel. I can switch back and forth between radios. So it's fairly well-equipped airplane as far as comms are concerned. Uh, my dad um, has a Luscom 8A, which is a uh, no electronics airplane. So we have to hand prop it. It doesn't have a starter. We do have a handheld radio in it that I use all the time. So I always, I say all the time, probably 98% of the time. Um, there are days when it, there have been days when it either doesn't function or it isn't charged or runs out of battery. But, um, I'm always attempting to use the radio. I never make a choice not to use the radio, but it's not required. Um, so that gives you the traffic pattern geometry and the, and the radio communications kind of give you redundant, built-in safeguards when you're entering the area for operations in an uncontrolled airport. I wanted to go over all that real quick because there was a similar accident here a little more recently, back in April. Uh, it involved a Cessna 150 in a citation. 
Uh, it's at Marion Municipal Airport in Indiana. There are two runways there. Uh, one five, which I think I didn't look up the reciprocals, but I think that'd be one five three three, and then two two zero four. There's a one fifty uh, Cessna one fifty on the ground getting ready to take off runway one five. Um, meanwhile, there was a um, Cessna Citation coming in to land on runway two two. The uh, and another quick point, uh, this airport has signs at both ends of the runway saying, you know, basically, if you're on the end of runway 15, you cannot see traffic on runway 22 and vice versa. Um, now, the citation was making a straight in landing to runway 22. Cessna 150 was taking off runway 15. I believe the winds were uh, maybe 140 at 8 or 9. Uh, I'll try to include a link to the accident report so uh, Captain Jeff and the crew can look at that. Um, but the unfortunately, the citation, as it was uh, clearing through the intersection point of the two runways, the 150 clipped the tail end of the citation, and the 150 um, cartwheeled and uh, caught on fire. And unfortunately, the uh, all of the people in the Neither of the people in the 150 survived. Uh, the unfortunate thing is you, you look at the the events that led up to this, and you have a Citation, which is a fast-moving airplane, kind of hard to see, uh, landing at an uncontrolled airport where there pretty obviously uh, is a um, – the wind is pretty obviously favoring one runway. He's not utilizing that runway, did not fly any of the prescribed traffic pattern procedures, and uh, he did not recall, the accident report says he did not recall making a radio call on Unicom, but did utilize his onboard TCAS or traffic con collision avoidance system while on approach, which for me as a small pilot um, really frustrates me because I, you know, I have no access to that information and, and him having that information in his cockpit does me no good to allow me to uh, act upon any sort of incursion we might have. So um, I just thought I'd kind of bring this to light to the crew and I'll uh, try to include a couple of links to this accident uh, and see what you guys think. Uh, thanks a lot for the show. All right. Thanks a lot for your feedback. And as you mentioned, uh, links to the uh, accident report uh, involving the Cessna 150 and the Citation jet will be in today's show notes. I was just uh, curious uh, about uh, signal squares, which are on UK airfields and indicate the traffic pattern direction. Um, and had it been um, laid down on a UK airfield, then and everyone should follow that same traffic pattern direction. Uh, this accident might not have happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm talking about the Bonanza now. And, um, Steph, you said that you do actually have something similar at USF Yeah, we, we call them segmented circles, and they're at uncontrolled fields. And usually it is where the windsock is. So if you find the – if you locate the windsock, around the windsock there's a circle drawn around it, but it's got little dashes around it. But then off of the dashes, it shows the location of the runways, and it actually indicates the direction of the traffic pattern for that runway. So is, well. is, are people obliged to follow that direction, that pattern yeah. direction? Yep. 
Okay, so uh, who was at fault in this particular, or is was there not? No, I can't. Circle at this circle, I wonder. Now I'm forgetting the exact details because I've yeah. gotten so far away from it. But um, if it if it is published, if it says in the AFD which um, traffic pattern you're supposed to be using, then it's whoever was going against the published traffic pattern. Yeah, interesting. I'd love to know that. I wonder if any of our readers, our listeners, know. I bet they do. Yeah, we're bound to find out then. Yes, we are. All right. Excellent. Thanks again, Nick, for that. Both Nick right there in the show and Nick, the feedback guy in the air capital, Wichita, Kansas. Tarkin. Is that the way I would pronounce that? Uh, Tarquin? Tarquin. Okay. Tarquin. Uh, yes. Trip to Blighty. Okay. This is interesting. Hello, all you bright-eyed and bushy-tailed APG people. I'm a medium-term listener and first-time provider of feedback. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Tarquin Wilberforce Singen Stodgrass. Sinjin. Oh, I'm sorry. Sinjin Stodgrass. I hail from this fair isle that contains the popular airfield at Farnborough. This is, I believe, your chosen destination. A fine choice, if I may say so. I understand that they hold some sort of midsummer celebration of flying apparatus. If you choose this as a destination for your vacation, as you would say, uh, may I offer some handy hints and tips to help you whilst you are guests of ours. First of all, when greeting people of any social standing, we prefer a firm handshake. This transmits all you need to the person you are meeting. It says, I'm pleased to meet you, but I do not wish to take this any further. I understand through the television that some countries encourage other forms of greetings. It's well documented that our French and Italian friends almost engage in relationships on meeting each other. The less said about that, the better. Now, it's been brought to my attention that you lovely Americans partake in something called high fives and pump fists, or fist pumps, whichever it is. We will have none of this nonsense on our fair land. Right, right. Okay, I'll make a note of that. Now that we have got the formalities out of the way, we must find a way of communicating with each other. In the United Kingdom, we talk to each other. Not shout, but talk. Nor we should be able to fumble through, as I understand you chaps use something very similar to the Queen's English, so I will endeavor to point out any potential pitfalls. There are certain words that are spelt one way and pronounced another, the correct way. One such word is root, a way to navigate from one point to another, but it's pronounced root. A root as, oh, no, a route, as you may say it, is in fact a woodworking term. I also believe that a router in your country is an internet box thing. We call them a router, but spell it router, uh, which is R-O-U-T-E-R. This may seem confusing, but nobody said it was easy. Effort is required. Now, in this golden aisle, alongside our roads, we have provision for pedestrians. We call this a pavement, not a sidewalk. Here you may walk on our pavement straight ahead, not sideways, as your sidewalks suggest. A good thing, <laughs> I'm sure you'll agree. Whilst on the subject of roads, our main intercity roads are called motorways, not freeways or highways. Good grief. What are you people on? Now, there is one word that will provide endless problems, and you will come across it time and time again. The offending word is burrow. Yes, this little rascal will crop up all the time. Farnborough, Peterborough, Wellingborough. I could go on, but 
I'm worried for you. I have a simple answer for you. Be less American. No, no, excuse my flippancy. I'll try to help. If you replace the word burrow with B-R-R-R, as if you're feeling cold, burr. Now, just pop farn in front of it, and bingo, you've got farn burr. Just like that common wench in that popular film, you can now blend in seamlessly. Another word that constantly trips up brave travelers from the Americans is shire, as in Hampshire, Cambridgeshire, and worst of all, Leicestershire. <laughs> How do you help? How, how do I help you on this? I purposely I'm not pronounced help, it. Jeff. I'm just going to continue on. No, I purposely. I've read through this before. I, I know what I know. What he wants People me to say. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, going back to uh, Tarquin. Uh, how do I help you on this? I'm not sure I can. <laughs> Some things are beyond mere mortals. Well, let's try. If you say share instead of shire. Sure. Hampshire. Sure. Oh, well, he says it's like that share lady. Oh. Right? Okay. Isn't Fair that enough. what it says right there? It is. If I you say know. share instead of shire, Hampshire, just like that share lady, Cambridgeshire, let's let your share. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we all know that you're looking at that word. I would love to tell that you word. Leicestershire. I, no, no, don't, don't. Leicestershire. Don't tell him what it actually is, Nick. <laughs> or Just let him continue. L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R-S-H-E-R, as we now pronounce it. But you are looking at, <laughs> shoot, Leicestershire uh, and saying, Le- okay, wait. So it's hard to read this and pronounce it exactly the way he wants me to pronounce it. But anyway. Uh, so I'll try to help with this. Say Lester, put it all together, and you've got Leicestershire. Okay, is that right? Leicestershire? Yeah. Closer. I, 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 Closer. I was, How would you say it? I was pulling your leg. Yeah, Leicestershire. Leicestershire. Leicestershire is the way most Americans pronounce it when they. But you're get saying it like a sheer, like a S H E A R. That's why I said share doesn't sound right to me. Yeah. Well, this Tarkin guy is wrong then. Tarkin. Uh, well, he, he might have a, sl- a slightly, um, I don't know, a regional accent. He doesn't. Ah, uh, okay. Out, since I know who Tarquin is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know Why is my from. battery running low? You might want to plug in your PC. Well, I thought I had. Oh, hang on. <laughs> is he having a Windows update? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> well, it might as well be. It's a Windows tablet. Oh, uh, Jeff, no, yes. not in the middle of Leicestershire. <laughs> I know, I'm ruining the whole vibe here. Leicestershire. Ah, hey, Nige, how you doing? Taking a little break here because uh, apparently the the uh, power cord for my Surface well, Three you... tablet had pulled out of its socket. Just an aside, how would you pronounce the the sauce that you can put on like steaks or marinade things in Worcestershire? Worcestershire, yeah. Uh, Worcestershire sauce, yeah. Yeah. Worcestershire. But it's spelled. I, I, I pronounce it in the same way you'd say Winshire. So Leicestershire. Winshire. Winshire. Leicestershire. Leicestershire. Well, I'm going to try some combination of all those. <laughs> Good <laughs> luck. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Back to Tarquins. I'm assuming this will go through the delicate hands of executive executive producer Elizabeth. Excuse me whilst I stand up and salute at the mention of our queen's name. <laughs> now, I understand she is a Canadian 
and so will have a greater grasp of the English language than you American types. You can go to her for extra help. Also, I believe one of your presenting chaps claims to be English, and so may be of some limited help to you. <laughs> Bloody hard to be is English. So. so at this juncture, I must bid you farewell and a safe journey to the cradle of civilization. Oh, you're staying in Lys, aren't you? I withdraw that last comment. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Toodle pip for now. That's what she said. P.S. If any of you are interested in what I look like, and I cannot blame you, just do a Google search for images of Jacob Rees Mogg. Then, then imagine a more muscular and buff version of him. That'll be me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've seen him. Um, the buff, muscular bit, I think you have to take with a pinch of salt. <laughs> so you should all know that uh, that was uh, the name Tarkin is, Tarquin is a... Um, uh, alias of someone that we know very well here yeah. in the APG community. His name, Ivor. Ivor the tank engine. Yes, and he's in our chat room as well. Uh, Hello, Ivor. Hi. Hope I did some justice to that uh, very, very entertaining piece and and educational. Thank you. Piece of feedback, and I'll I'll practice. I'll practice. It'd be better if you don't. It's more fun that way. <laughs> no, I think you guys get more amusement out of me mispronouncing everything. Absolutely. Okay. Then I won't work on it. Um, let's see. We're well, at just, there's low expectations. It's okay. Good. Well, I, you'll really I enjoy all, this show if you have low expectations. Make <laughs> <laughs> excluded. I mean, let's be honest. They can't get any of our American pronunciations right either. So That is true. Know, that true. is true. But we don't, uh, we, you know. We don't. We don't belittle the, them for that, do no, we? No, no, no. No. I don't think we did any of that when people came to like Pittsburgh no. or No, because or we're nice. Gosh. We're nice. Mm -hmm. That's all we'll have to say about that. Well, you know what? <laughs> I think this might be a good time for us to play this week's installment of Plain Tales by that wonderful storyteller, the old dot pilot or the old pilot. And let's hear it. Now. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales, an addendum. Since broadcasting the last plain tale, Murder on the Flight Deck, I found out that one of our longest and most valued listeners, Captain Steve Andress, was personally involved with part of the story. Had I realised beforehand, I would of course have reached out to Steve to make sure he was happy for me to tell the story. But since then, he and I have been in contact, and I'm glad to say that Steve wasn't upset that I told the tale. To fill in the gaps for those who are listening to this in isolation, my previous plain tale, entitled Murder on the Flight Deck, dealt with two incidents where a passenger attacked the pilots of an airliner in order to cause their own death. Very sadly, in the case that is linked to Steve's family, the suicidal passenger succeeded in his aims and caused the crash of Pacific Airlines Flight 733, killing everyone on board, including Ray Andress, the co-pilot, and Steve's father. In Steve's own words, I was surprised to hear it, but I wasn't upset by it. As I said in a message during the podcast, if the story was to be told, I'm glad it came from you. You always do a fantastic job with your tales. 
About four years ago, I heard for the first time the ATC communication from my father saying that they had been shot. That was quite unsettling. The crash, my mom calls it the accident, I think, to soften it for us kids, occurred when I was two and I don't have any memories of my father. My mother has said that when my father's flights would pass through San Jose, south of San Francisco, she would take us kids out to the airport to see him. I wanted to be a pilot for as long as I remember. I'm sure it was because of my father. He was a USAF RB-47 reconnaissance pilot. Now, for those who may not be familiar, the aircraft that Steve's father flew was the massive Boeing Stratojet, originally designed as a high-level, high-speed, strategic nuclear bomber. It was powered by six General Electric J-47 turbojets, four of which were mounted in pairs inboard and the remaining two outboard. Its main undercarriage were two bogies, one steerable mounted fore and the other mounted aft, bicycle-style, and they retracted into the fuselage. Plus they had retractable outriggers mounted under the inboard engine mounts. It was a gleaming, sleek and futuristic design, straight from a kid's comic, with the highly swept shoulder-mounted wings and a large fighter-style bubble canopy. The pilots sat in tandem, with the co-pilot doubling up as a rear gunner using the remote radar-directed M24 tail cannons. The third crew member also doubled up as a navigator and, in the recce version, a photographer operating the 11 cameras that could be fitted. The RB-47s came the closest of all the variants to being in combat. Some missions required them to overfly the Soviet Union, and several were engaged by Soviet fighters. In one case, after a top-secret reconnaissance mission in the Kola Peninsula, a 4th Air Division 91st Strategic Reconnaissance Wing RB-47E flew over the Soviet Union. It was flying at high altitude, out of reach of the MiG-15s, but unknown to the USAF intelligence, some MiG-17s had been stationed in the area that were able to intercept the intruder. The Stratojet was chased by several Soviet MiG-17 fighters attempting to destroy the aircraft with their guns over Soviet and then Finnish airspace. Although sustaining damage, the crew managed to escape over Sweden back to their home base at Aria Fairford in England. The RB-47's high speed and combat range were crucial. At least five of them were fired on, and despite returning fire with their tail guns, three were brought down. Going back to Steve's story... He received his commission through ROTC, so like him, I was going to do Air Force ROTC as well. However, when I mentioned this to a friend in the 7th grade, this was shortly after Vietnam, he said that the only ones guaranteed a pilot slot were the Air Force Academy graduates. So I went there. After pilot training, I flew the KC-135 out of Okinawa, then transferred to the RC-135. I didn't pick recon because of my father. The RC provided real-world operations in a peacetime air force. I thought it would be more interesting, and it was. I flew RC operations out of Shemya, near the western tip of the Aleutian Islands, while based in Alaska. Later, I operated out of Kadena in Okinawa, Athens and Mildenhall in the UK, 
while based in Nebraska. I'm now a 737 captain for a major airline. I also flew the MD-80 before upgrading. As you mentioned in the plain tale, the captain's daughter, Julie, flew commercially for many years, and she retired from Northwest. She currently performs at air shows in her T-34. I went up with her once, and she let me do a barrel roll. One of my sisters became a flight attendant. Both she and Julie flew together once, years ago, on a Hughes Airwest F-27. Julie, the pilot, and my sister, the flight attendant. You also mentioned that the shooter took out an insurance policy from a machine in the airport. My mother, working in conjunction with Alpa, testified before a congressional committee with the goal of banning those machines. In the end, some states did ban them, I believe. I'm often asked how my mother felt about me pursuing a flying career. I was fortunate that my mother saw that this crash was the result of a terrible crime and not because of an unsafe industry. She was always supportive of my flying goals. I've listened to all 330 APG shows and even the Catholic pilot. I've learned a lot and I'm a better pilot and captain as a result. I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to do what I love. Well, thanks, Steve, for sharing your story with us and providing a more intimate view of an awful incident. In the 60s and 70s, the proliferation of flight insurance kiosks at airports was implicated in a number of incidents, such as the one involving Steve's father on Flight 773. And his mother, in conjunction with the Airline Pilots Association, was instrumental in making a strong case for their removal. For those listeners from a slightly different era who aren't familiar with these machines, they were positioned in airport terminals by insurance companies and, for a handful of quarters, they would automatically dispense an insurance policy for your flight. Selling flight insurance wasn't a new thing even back then. In 1911, one could buy aviation-related coverage from Lloyds of London called a White Wings policy. And by 1919, the Travellers Insurance Company introduced insurance which offered death and disability coverage for a passenger. Called a Trip Accident Ticket Insurance, it ran from the day of purchase until 4am the next day. The very first of these aero tickets, as they were called, was purchased by President Wilson for $5, with a possible payout of 5000 Even the Wright brothers were customers of this coverage. This type of insurance grew and was sold from booths at the airport, but after the Second World War, demand grew to the point where staff behind kiosks couldn't cope and vending machines were introduced to cover the passengers' needs. However, the perception that an aircraft was an easy target for those who wanted a claim on these policies persisted, and it became a motivation for appalling crimes and mass murder. In the United States, the event that brought this all to a head was perpetrated by a man called John Gilbert Graham. Born in Denver early in 1932, Graham was the child of Daisy Graham and her second husband, Nicknamed Jack, Graham was Daisy's second child, as she already had a daughter from her first marriage. 
Jack Graham was born in the height of the Depression, and when he was five, his father died from pneumonia. In desperate poverty, his mother's only solution, as was fairly common at the time, was to send young Jack to an orphanage. A few years later, Daisy married for a third time, but her new husband only lived for a short while. She used her inheritance to become a successful businesswoman, but despite her newfound wealth, she didn't rescue Jack from the orphanage, leaving him abandoned there. In 1954, when Jack was 22, there was a reunion of sorts, but hardly surprisingly, they had a pretty poor relationship and were often witnessed arguing and shouting at each other. Daisy was, by then, running a drive-in restaurant and Jack worked for her, but that business failed after a suspicious gas explosion caused severe damage. However, an insurance policy that Jack had taken out of the restaurant paid out. The police knew about Jack, though, since he already had a criminal record for embezzlement, forgery and illegal transport of whiskey. Jack Graham plotted to murder his mother, and for a blueprint, he followed, almost identically, the case of a Canadian murderer. Albert Guay, on the 9th of September 1949, murdered 23 people aboard a Canadian Pacific Airlines DC-3, Flight 108, in Quebec. He was stuck in a loveless marriage, and because of the staunchly Catholic divorce laws in Quebec at the time, he knew he couldn't get a divorce. With his wife flying from Montreal to Quebec City, he put a dynamite time bomb in her suitcase and then, on the day of the flight, took out flight insurance worth over $100,000 in today's money. His motive wasn't purely the money, though. He wanted to be free to marry his mistress, a 19-year-old waitress. He planned for the explosion to occur over the St. Lawrence River so that the evidence would be lost in the water, but a small departure delay meant that the aircraft's destruction happened over land. His conviction was the first proven incidence of sabotaging a passenger flight for criminal purposes. Albert, along with Ruest, the clockmaker who constructed the bomb, and Ruest's sister, who purchased the dynamite, were all sentenced to death by hanging. Albert's last words were, At least I die famous. Ruest's sister was the thirteenth and last woman to be hanged in Canada. Six years later, Jack Graham succeeded in building a suitable dynamite bomb and secreted it in his mother's suitcase. At the airport, he purchased flight insurance worth over $340,000 in today's money, and being the sole beneficiary in her will, if his plan to murder his mother succeeded, he was destined to be a very wealthy man. The aircraft, a United Airlines DC-6, departed Denver, bound for Portland, with 39 passengers and five crew members on board. The last call the aircraft made was over the Denver Beacon. In the Denver Tower, the controller's attention was grabbed by a bright flash that illuminated the 10,000-foot cloud base. Suspecting the worst, they checked in all the aircraft under their control. All but Flight 629 replied, and then the phone calls started coming in. 
Searchers who reached the crash site quickly determined that all on board had perished in the destruction of the DC-6. The fires were so intense that they burned for three days. The FBI conducted a very thorough investigation, and through chemical analysis and painstaking examination of the debris, they concluded that a dynamite bomb had been used. Suspicion immediately fell on those who might gain the most from the deaths of the passengers and the crew, and with the evidence mounting against him, Jack Graham finally confessed. Despite the number of victims, there was no law covering the situation, so Graham was charged with a single count of murder, that of his mother. He was convicted, and a few days later he was executed in a gas chamber. Before his death, he said, As far as feeling remorse for these people, I don't. I can't help it. Everybody pays their way and takes their chances. That's just the way it goes. In the aftermath of the destruction of Flight 629, and as a result of the campaign by Steve's mother with the help of Alpa, the state of Colorado banned the use of insurance vending machines, and airport insurance sales remained legal only so long as a person sold it. In the end, the death of the insurance machines really came about because of the increasing safety of air travel and the ever-diminishing chance of one's demise on a flight. But I have to really admire Steve's mother for her efforts in the campaign. I also admire Steve for his service to his country and for the success of his flying career. It started in the most difficult of circumstances, and I'm sure that the APG crew and our happy band of listeners will join me in wishing you and your family the very best for the future. Yes, we do. Absolutely. Thank you very much, uh, Steve, uh, for the really nice letter and your very, very kind words. Uh, very, uh, we took that uh, very, what am I trying to say? Yeah. To heart. Very to heart. Mm-hmm. Very much to heart. Thank you. Uh, we really appreciate it. Interesting about the flight insurance uh issue. Uh, there was a discussion about that while we were listening to the plain tale uh, in the chat room regarding the fact that uh, believe here in the U.S. those things have been abolished or banned, but yeah, apparently not so in other parts of the world. No, I, I believe there are some modern versions in Japan, for example. Uh, and Captain Al said uh, he, he'd seen some, I think. Was it Captain Al? Uh Looking back now, but uh, anyway, some people have uh, said they're uh, uh, having a bit of a resurgence. But quite honestly, uh, with air travel being so safe, I'm going, the chances uh, of you getting a payout, uh, it's just a complete waste of money. And most of us have life insurance anyway uh, of the normal kind, which will probably cover you uh, in the majority of cases. So I'm just wondering why they would want to. Uh, when they were um, at their peak in the United States, the um, 
revenue they were generating for the insurance company was something in the region to a thousand times the amount uh, of payout that uh, they were having to pay out to people who perished. So uh, it was, you know, it was an incredible money earner. It was making many, many millions of dollars, and they were paying out a very small amount in comparison. So, uh, you know, it was even back then when air travel wasn't as safe, it was still what I would consider something of a scam. Oh, definitely. And uh, I don't know. If I'm looking at someone buying an insurance policy right before they get on a flight, I'm feeling pretty suspicious of them as it is. Yeah. Just, you know, I would wonder about them. I'm motivation. not getting on that flight with them. <laughs> <laughs> Why are they taking out a separate insurance policy? Especially if it's the pilots. Especially yeah. if it's the pilots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll take the bus on this one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we do take uh, passenger profiling quite seriously uh, in, you know, most flights, uh, in most airlines, in most countries because of the dangers uh, that might be involved with unstable passengers. So, uh, you know, or passengers with weird motivations. So, you know, if you go and buy insurance, it's – how can that not be a, a problem? I don't understand. All right. Well, again, enjoyed your tale sir well that and was all steve's doing really he wrote such a nice letter it was yes. just so easy to turn it into a a, a little story absolutely and i, I love the airplanes sure. that his father flew i mean when you look at one you need to pull a picture up of one everybody you need to just google uh, uh b47 and look up it it's like a massive fighter plane I mean, it's got these hugely swept wings, all these engines, and then this amazing fighter pilot's bubble canopy on top of it. must have been so much fun to sit up there and fly that thing. I, uh, I, I love that his father flew that in the, uh, in the USA. Yes. All right. Let's move. We're going to skip uh, a few of these and skip over to number 14, Glenn Towler, uh, from that uh, North Island, the South Shore of the North Island. Um, <laughs> I think I got that right, ge geographically speaking. And uh, he sent us some audio feedback, so let's take a listen. Hello, my fellow APG syndrome sufferers. It's Glenn from Wellington, New Zealand, with some feedback. Um, looking forward to Oshkosh again. Uh, I have a meetup plan at uh, 10 a.m. on the Thursday at the Brown Arch. So if you're in the Oshkosh area, happen to be there. Do please turn off. It would be great to see you. Um, really looking forward to seeing everyone, of course. All my good friends like uh, Jennifer, Dispatcher Mike, of course. Uh, Halal. And, oh, Dave Abbey. Yes, good to see him again. Um, that's it, really. I'm, well, not... Uh, yeah, I was thinking... Well, actually, I'll talk a little bit about um, what Mike was saying in a, a previous podcast about windows in aircraft. We really need to keep them. We don't really want video screens, really. I mean, I was on a flight last year from LA to Atlanta and the 757-300. Window seat, of course. And I think it was only two windows or window shades were actually open on the flight. It was in the daytime. The views were just wonderful, fantastic. The clouds and everything and the uh, and I think most of the people, all they wanted to do was stare at the little screens and the seat back in front of them. So it's really quite sad that so many people don't look out the window. 
sure I've said this before, but for saying again that you know we really need to get people looking out of the windows and stop staring at their at their little screens. But anyway, that's what people want to do. So, what can you do? Anyway, um, yes, blue skies, tailwinds, and uh, see you all at Oshkosh. Uh, Glenn out. Yeah, good luck with that, Glenn. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we're beyond the point of no return with the little screens and uh, lack of attention and, and interest in looking outside and seeing what the world has to offer. As you said, it's what the people want. Yep. Um, I hope you have a great trip over and uh, your meetups are all fantastic, which I'm sure they will be. And uh, I just wish that uh, the APG crew were able to join the gang up at uh, Oshkosh this year. But as I mentioned before, uh, we're not ruling out that uh, that could be a possibility for the next year. I'm going to make it there one of these years. I promise. Yes. Eventually. It's a great place to go. I've only been there like a, a very brief period of time, just a few hours on a, a Wednesday afternoon of last year's show, but it was worth every minute. All right. And uh, we also want to uh, skip to 16. We're doing this to make sure that we get all of these in today's show. And this, uh, you'll remember uh, Corey um, had written to us about the fact that, uh, well, he's just always updating us on his progress of his flight training, uh, et cetera. And uh, he uh, sent this to us uh, as an update. Corey Cave here, a.k.a. Pipeline Pilot Guy turned Regional Pilot Guy. I think my last feedback got lost on its way to you, but here I am with a big update on a new and improved phone. Dr. Steph gets the reference. Indeed. I'm glad you got a new phone. That last one was, uh, the screen was having some issues. We'll just say Cracked that. maybe? Yeah, and it was displaying some odd colors. Oh, okay. Good. Well, interesting looking photos. We're glad that you have a new and improved phone. Corey, and I'm sorry about the fact that uh, your last feedback feedback got lost. I don't recall seeing it, but uh, oh well. Did uh, he forget to include the twenty dollar note? Oh, you know, yeah, I don't, I didn't, re I didn't see that. That might have been why it ended up yeah, in the trash bin. You, <laughs> you better go search that trash bin. There might be twenty dollars there. You never know. Oh shoot. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. Um, he continues. Well, I passed my check ride on April twenty sixth. And I am officially a first officer on the Embraer 145. Uh, well, yeah, well, I need to find the uh, audio track that I should have already been ready to play. Here we go. Oh, <laughs> you got a short period. <laughs> a little short <laughs> applause. applause. <laughs> yeah, here, let's let's <laughs> yeah. give him a longer one. Well, perhaps. Sounds like someone falling down the stairs. <laughs> okay, let's try this again. Okay. Uh, we really are excited for you. We yeah. Watch, watch, watch. No, we, gotta, we have to do better than At that. At least Here Nick and I are. Not sure about that. <laughs> oh, that's better. There. How about that? Better. <laughs> okay. I don't know what happened to the fades that I'd set up on all those, but apparently that's not working. <laughs> Fix oh, well, yeah, I'll fix it in post. <laughs> anyway, congratulations. Uh, and I really am happy for you, Corey. 
regardless of what Steph says. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, fast forward to Father's Day. I'm, I surprised my father, a fellow listener. Hello, father. Uh, with a ticket on a Nashville turn, I was flying. It was an amazing feeling to have the captain let me take the or make the PA standing in the cabin to the passengers. I wish I'd filmed it. I even got a round of applause. I'm not going to try to applause thing again. <laughs> and uh, greased both landings, I might add. The first thing my dad said after after it was, "Wow, that was like a regular airline flight." <laughs> <laughs> but I knew what he meant. In addition, the CBS Nightly News finally showed my interview. Somehow, it went from an hour to not even a full second. <laughs> but it's okay. Sounds about right for uh, evening news. I, you get more time on this show, that's for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, just send us a video and we'll play it. Uh, caught me off guard when I walked into the crew room and everyone was looking at me. Even got video from my ground school classmates on Canadian overnights who saw it uh, air up there. I will provide a link so we can all enjoy the flash of my face. <laughs> I didn't see a link in here, though, from that uh, that video. So, Corey, if you're listening, or Corey's dad, if you're listening, tell Corey to send me the link to the video so we can, you know, play it on, on the show. But uh, do you see that in there, anybody? Um, no, just the regular link to yeah. the actual feedback. Yeah, and then the picture there uh, as well. So, um, anyway, uh, sorry for the long feedback, but last, oh. This is not long feedback, trust me. Uh, but last three things. One, what do you all think about the Boeing purchase of Embraer? Two, Piedmont Airlines finally retired its last, last Dash 8 on July 4th. There is a good documentary produced by Piedmont on their social media and YouTube. Truly an end of an era. And number three, Captain Nick, I jump seated on a 320, A321, and I'm not saying I'm converted, but it does have its upsides. In closing, I am glad to be where I am and truly know what it feels like to love what you do and to count the minutes until the next time I get to fly. 130 hours in just two months doesn't feel like work anymore. Well, keep up the good work, and I hope to see you all on the line. First Officer Corey Cave. And he included a photo. There is First Officer Corey sitting in the right seat, and that has to be First Officer Corey's dad. And he didn't mention his name, so I keep calling him Corey's dad. Wow, isn't that a brilliant? What a great picture. Yeah. yeah Love very it. Very nice. He must be a proud man. And I was going to say, just in reference to the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the Dash 8 retirement, that was big news here in Charlotte because Piedmont has a large hub here in Charlotte, and they did operate quite a few Dash 8s into and out of this airport. So, just for yeah, I remember, I remember seeing a bunch of them at uh, Charlotte. And I flew on them a bunch going out when I lived out in uh, the eastern part of North Carolina because they operated at that time the majority of the flights out to Pitt Greenville. And I think for quite a while they were only operating the Dash 8. It's a great yeah. airport. If you live Very out there, cool. you can go anywhere you want as long as it's Charlotte. And <laughs> on any airline you want to, as long as it's on a American Airlines regional carrier. Yes. Um, did they ever get that all sorted out? Uh, was it P not Piedmont PSA? Oh, PSA with their, um, computer glitch computer issues. I have yeah. not heard anything recently. So assuming it's all back to all status good. quo. Okay. We'll see. Excellent. And then we talked earlier in the news section about the Boeing purchase of Embraer. So we got that one checked off and, uh, yeah, the A321, I think I met, I mentioned the same thing. I think it, I mentioned the same thing on a, um, 
earlier show when I was deadheading back from Los Angeles a couple of months ago. A very comfortable cockpit. Um, again, I'm pretty sure that I'll never be trained or fly on that um, that jet, but uh, it was very comfortable, and it I guess it does have its upsides. So as long as the upsides aren't down, right? Exactly. Okay. Well, thanks, Corey, again, for the update. And yeah, make sure you send a link to that uh, CBS uh, special where you, we got a full second of your face. <laughs> it's your so, one second of fame. We've cut yeah, it down. Not, There's been cutbacks. It's no longer what was it 15 supposed seconds. To be? Yeah, 15, 15 seconds minutes, to 15 one minutes, or 15 minutes. That's 15 right, minutes. to one second. <laughs> There's been some cutbacks. Yeah. Airtime is not cheap. No. Come on. <laughs> it's amazing how, you know, you, you get interviewed by something. Uh, I had a lady uh, uh, interview me in Boston, the uh, local uh, PBS affiliate, uh, WGBH, and she wanted my uh, opinion and uh, expertise regarding runway incursions uh, up at Boston Logan. And we must have spent, I don't know, over an hour talking and, you know, she recorded the whole thing. And then uh, the final product, I think I was on for maybe five to text 10 seconds. <laughs> so, wow. Wow. It was yeah. an awful lot of effort, but nearly nothing. Yeah. By the way, I'm so delighted. Uh, Corey likes the uh, 321. I just would love to hear uh, when he flies on a 330 or better still a 340, because uh, now the Captain Al's gone, I can say that a 321 is really a little short, ugly effort. <laughs> that's actually a long longer ugly whatever well, you com said compared with the proper airplane no. yeah okay okay oh you weren't comparing to the a3 18 19 20 no, no. the other way around proper airplane okay. <laughs> proper just checking yes all right uh let's see let's do number 15 since i'm in that area of my uh, evernote notebook um, and this is, everybody really appreciates plain tales and, and it's, uh, not a surprise at all. And, uh, in Facebook, a place that I don't travel too often, uh, but, uh, fortunately Nick and, uh, Liz do, uh, and they let me know when people put in, have nice things to say and a lot of nice stuff for plain tales. And I'll just, uh, read you a couple of them here. John Pelchat says, I'm a longtime suffering victim of APG syndrome. The APG is the best palliative therapy for APG syndrome. Did I say that right? Uh, palliative. Steph? Palliative therapy for APG syndrome. What does palliative mean? Uh, it means when there's no cure and you're just providing comfort care. Oh, okay. Very appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but when you don't have three hours and are loath to stop in the middle, Captain Nick's plane tales or that short rescue inhaler for all of us sufferers. <laughs> oh, the rest of us use it for a chance to go to the toilet. <laughs> well, you know, to each their own. That's right. Uh, Sean Fowler says, one of my favorite things. When I'm driving to work to go flying, I'm either listening to the most recent APG episode, or if, it's, if that's been completed, then I'm diving back into the old plain tales. Thank you very much for all the superb work you put into these, Nick. Christopher Keyes says, you're a masterful storyteller, Captain Nick, by any standard. Lovely blend of history, humor, and thought-provoking pathos. But how do you find the time to research, record, edit, fly, photo photograph, and edit, and drink each and every week? 
It's miraculous. Yeah, well, the, the good thing is I'm just not doing a lot of flying at the moment. <laughs> yeah, he has a lot more it's time for all the other stuff. The exactly right. But I have knocked out uh, a quick plane tail uh, on a New York, so it is possible to, you know, combine the two. He's just, he loves what he does. He has a passion for this stuff, and we are so glad the, that he does, and we're so glad that he's part of our team. I thought it was just the old curmudgeon was doing some of the work. Yeah. Well, yeah, that okay. old curmudgeon guy was has something to do with it. Yeah. Um, and then Sue and Tony Damiano say, Hi, Captain Nick. I've heard many of your tales previously, but somehow your unique way of telling them makes them so much more interesting. Keep up the great work. So it's very, very kind. And I really that's just a sampling. That. That's, that's so kind. And that's just a sampling of the many, many, many comments. I mean, uh, almost every piece of feedback we get, you know, plain tales, you know, love it. You know, tell Nick, you know, it's the best thing since sliced bread. So, and, and we, we could agree, agree more. Yep. Truly. So um, I was thinking to myself, hmm, we should probably have a special email address for those of you who want to contact Nick directly and perhaps you have suggestions we get a lot of suggestions for future installments of plain tales and uh, for whatever reason nick may or may not agree that that would be a good candidate for uh, doing a plain tale because i think you're, there's some criteria there right nick as far as yeah, you know, i have to be able to turn it into uh, a story that is just long enough not too complicated so it has to have just the right sort of level of content uh, and if I'm going to devote uh, a day or two to con you know, doing it, I, I have to be able to engage with it. So what appeals to some people won't necessarily appeal to me, and they won't necessarily – a story may just be a short event that won't necessarily expand out, and perhaps I can't find enough information on it to, uh, to, to make it interesting enough. So there are lots of things that uh, might cause a – uh, a suggestion to not quite make the grade, but uh, I, I have followed a lot of ideas and uh, I'm yeah. always up for more. Yeah, and you always acknowledge the folks that, uh, you know, kind of suggest Absolutely. these. Absolutely. When, when, yeah. when I can, uh, yeah, remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm very poor at note keeping when it comes to that. Hey, folks, I'll tell, I'll tell you what, we get a lot of uh, feedback from uh, everyone out there and, uh, Sometimes it's a little overwhelming, but uh, just to help us out a little bit, set up a an email address, uh, Plain Tales, and you can spell it P-L-A-N-E-T-A-L-E-S or Plain T-A-I-L-S, uh, if you'd like, at AirlinePilotGuy.com. So Plain Tales at AirlinePilotGuy.com, and that way we can kind of set aside those that are uh, uh, questions for us or comments regarding uh, APG in general or specifically to the uh, the plain tales. Oh, yeah, section. that'll be great because uh, with all the different uh, social media avenues, uh, I often lose things. So yeah. I, I think, well, I got a suggestion last week, and when the hell is that? And then I can never find it again. Yeah. I don't know. I think I may have thrown it away. <laughs> yes. No. Oh, you weren't, you weren't asking specifically, were you? <laughs> well, disregard that. I had nothing to do with it. That Liz must have done it. <laughs> yeah, Liz, Liz threw it away. Yeah, it's her fault. Yeah, blame it on the producer. <laughs> she's not here to defend herself. She's in the chat room. I think oh, we no. might get a comment well, in a minute. Disregard anything that uh, Liz says in the chat room. <laughs> how do I? How do I boot her out of there? Oh, never mind. Uh, let's see. She's so, got a spanner. You can't. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, shall we continue? I think we have another, I don't know, 20 minutes or so remaining that we can do some more pieces of feedback here. Anything in particular any of you want to cover for sure? Or shall I just uh, pick it random? Okay. Um, let me take up from where we left off. Uh, Steve Wright, Steve Hurst, um, the feedback regarding Rolls-Royce job cuts. This is my third or fourth feedback question since following the show. So feel free to tell me to shut up. Okay. Shut up. Let's move on to another one. Shut up, Jeff. Shut up, Jeff. <laughs> uh, just kidding. I want to respond with a different perspective to comments made in APG 328 and 329 about the substantial job cuts announced by Rolls-Royce. Whilst the announcement of substantial job cuts might appear short-sighted, a knee-jerk reaction to pacify the shareholders and hugely, uh, and hugely unfair to the individuals impacted, I think there is more to it than that. Per my reading of the situation, a large proportion of these job cuts were something that should have been should have happened sooner to remove surplus jobs and remove layers of middle management to simplify the organization and make it more efficient. Instead, they waited until the Trent 1000 issues really started to hurt before they announced the restructure. It seems that the Trent 1000 issues proved to be the catalyst for the job losses, but it was not the root cause. Well, that's my insiders, uh, what my insiders tell me anyway. So yes, optically it looks bad, a knee-jerk reaction. But my reading of the situation is that the poor individuals that lost their jobs were not necessarily just the unlucky ones that happened to get caught in the crossfire of the Trent 1000 crisis. It should have happened anyway, crisis or no crisis, to increase the efficiency of the firm. Will the job losses help to fix the Trent 1000 issue quicker? I doubt it. But does that mean that the job cuts was the wrong decision? I guess only time will tell. But was it poorly timed? I think so. I sincerely hope Rolls-Royce get their act together soon, and my best wishes go to those individuals that sadly lost their jobs. Thanks in advance for allowing me to bring a different perspective to this topic. Keep the blue side up. Mexico Steve. Shut up. Steve. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, good. Uh, I, think, I think he's right, actually. Uh, this is probably something that should have occurred uh or happened before was it uh, they say timing is everything yes yeah that is so absolutely true. well it, it looked to us like they were going well this is uh we need to pull our horns in for a while because we've got a big financial commitment to these engines and these problems are going to cost us big time uh, so that was the obvious uh, conclusion to draw but it appears it may not be so however the a lot of companies go through these restructures and uh, I find it a bit cyclic that they, uh, you know, it, the company cuts back and then over the next few years, it quietly grows again as they discover that the people they got rid of were probably quite important. They need them back or someone to replace them. And then they go, oh, we're spending too much, got to cut back again. It's, it's just part of life nowadays, I'm afraid. Yeah, so true. All right, number seven. Another reason for two pilots in the cockpit. And I, I paused for a moment because I'm looking at this guy's name and uh, he wants to help me out. He sent me a link to pronouncenames.com. And so let's hear what they say here. Chandrasekhar. Chandrasekhar. Or you could just say Shaker. <laughs> so 
that's who sent this feedback. He says, hello, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Captain Dana, and Dr. Steph. Hi, Shekhar. Sorry. sorry. Chandra Shekhar. <laughs> I, apparently, I could say Jay Shekhar. I just said, hi, Shekhar. Chandra Shekhar. We, we Steph, apologize, Shekhar. We'll, we'll continue with your feedback now. Steph keeps interrupting. Chandra Shekhar. <laughs> that doesn't even sound like me. I know. <laughs> That's an Indian stuff. Okay. Uh, I'm a longtime listener from India. I love the show and eagerly wait. Await. Uh, Let me try that again. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think I'm got it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. I'm a longtime listener from India. I love the show and eager. <laughs> Nick, I think you can do another. Uh, Take five. Would you please uh, read this, Nick? Uh, yes. Uh, okay. This is from Shaker. Hi, Shaker. Hello, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Captain Dana, and Dr. Steph. I'm a longtime listener from India. I love the show and eagerly await new episodes every week. I admit that I have also caught the syndrome a long time ago. A long, long, long time ago. <laughs> I was reading the news today and found something you might find interesting. An Indigo Airways A320 captain suffered a massive heart attack in flight, but was able to keep control and land the aircraft safely. Good Lord. Here is the link to the article. Um, thank you so much for all the effort you put in every week to make the show happen. You're very welcome, Shaker. Uh, your show and the airplane geeks, uh, who the hell are they, are both responsible <laughs> for reigniting my passion for flight. Best regards, Q Jeff. Chandra Shekhar. Yes. Uh, I've also copied the article below, so you don't need to visit the webpage. Isn't she wonderful? Yeah. He, wonderful. He, she? I think he. He. Sorry. Chandra. I would imagine. Shaker. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway. Uh, so, uh, displaying immense grit, a Cuban pilot of Indigo, dis, uh, despite suffering a massive cardiac arrest in mid-flight, landed the plane safely at uh, Nataji uh, Subhas Chandra Bose. Bose? Is that Bose? Is that where they make the headphones? I think the... At Anwan, what's the guy's name? The guy, I think it is, it is an Indian uh, Oh, well, name. I never. The I guy that did, that. yeah, what, what's his name? Oh, somebody help me out. Okay, anyway, I'll look that up uh, while you're reading. The, this, this airport has the most impossible name. Could you imagine saying this over the radio? Chandra Bose International Airport in Calcutta. Anyway, Captain Seal. Quick, quick point here, though. I hope he didn't. I don't think he had an actual cardiac arrest that generally renders people unconscious, but perhaps heart attack renders or cardiac arrest. I would have thought, yeah. but I'm any, I'm any, uh, uh, not, not full on cardiac arrest. I don't think. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, the, also a comment about whether it's actually sensible to keep control of the airplane. having <laughs> suffered a cardiac arrest. That's what, that's why we have two pilots. Uh, anyway, Captain De Silvio Diaz Acosta, 63. 63, that's my age. Oh, all right, okay. That's not so cool, is it? <laughs> I was about to land his flight from Imphal to, uh, oh, do I have to say it again? Yes. To the airport that I previously <laughs> named, when he complained of an acute chest pain to his co-pilot and oh, began, began sweating profusely, uh, as reported by News 18. 
He and his co-pilot did not panic. Instead, used their alertness and skills to ensure that the situation stayed under control and ensured the flight landed safely. He was immediately taken to the emergency medical unit in the airport. He was referred to a hospital in Sharnock after being diagnosed with a cardiac arrest uh, and a severely blocked artery. Cue Dr. Steph. Uh, his condition was serious and he was immediately taken to the emergency ward. Electrocardiography, commonly known as ECG or EKG, was done wherein we found myocardial infarction, MI, commonly known as a heart attack, said cardiologist Satrajit Samantha. But definitely I'm glad not you guys are reading that. <laughs> <laughs> Notice so how the cardiologist did not call it cardiac arrest. That's all I want to point out. Myocardial infarction, heart attack. Yes. Back to you in the studio. Oh, further, the cardiologist <laughs> attending to Acosta said that during the operation, he suffered from ventricular tachycardia, a heart rhythm disorder, and had to be given electric shocks twice to be resuscitated. Well, I've yeah, never witnessed such an incident. <laughs> the fact that the cardiac arrest happened in midair and he still landed the flight safely is a miracle. He is fine and out of danger, but we have him under strict observation. Today, his family members will reach India from Havana. Hopefully, he will be discharged in two uh, to three days, said Dr. Samantha. What do you reckon, Steph? So I think during whatever procedure they were doing, whether it was stent placement or an actual uh, bypass procedure for his severely blocked artery is when he actually had the cardiac arrest, which is the ventricular tachycardia that they refer to and which can be remedied with shocks. Interesting. Shocking. I, I somehow feel that his co-pilot, first officer, has been sadly left out of this story. Yeah. Since I suspect that he did everything. I just the co-pilot, come on. Like, sat beside him, sweating <laughs> profusely. Uh, and not taking quite anything a bit away of pain. From, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Not taking anything away from Captain De Silva, Vio, but... Uh, they didn't they even just, mention the poor first officer's name. No. No. <laughs> That's standard. <laughs> because as we all know, the only reason they're there is just to talk on the radio. Uh, yes, of course. Yes. And to make the captain's tea or whatever. Well, there you go. In summary... We're very glad that the uh, captain of the flight is recovering and that uh, the first officer did a fine job of flying and, yes. yeah, doing his job. And I was correct. The uh, guy that, that uh, founded the company that we all know as Bose, I, I use their headset, uh, Amar Gopal Bose. Uh, was an American academic and entrepreneur of Indian descent, an electrical engineer and sound engineer. He was professor at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. You may have heard it referred to as uh, MIT for over 45 years. He is also the founder and chairman of Bose Corporation. Oh, so there, okay. you go. there you go. It is an Indian Thanks. name, apparently. Pretty but say cool. uh, as a general um, comment, uh, if any of this was actually true, I would be a little concerned that the captain did not give control to his first officer and that he used his immense grit to uh, land the aircraft safely because if he was uh, um, suffering from a heart attack and, uh, you know, and this acute chest pains and sweating, he really should have uh, given control. And, and if he didn't, and I'm going to go, that's not a good move. If he did, then I would really appreciate it if people would acknowledge the uh, part that the first officer took in this story. 
Yeah, you know, I think we all suspect that that is probably actually what happened. <laughs> yes, the I first officer so. did probably fly the airplane and he was in the cockpit. But of course, you know, the journalists out there don't quite grasp exactly what happens in a cockpit situation. Or yeah. in medical. Uh... <laughs> or Yeah, yes. that too. Or pretty much ev- anything that you know anything about. <laughs> personally sorry uh, journalists out there but the media, <laughs> yes we do you can send all your um feedback to circular file at yes complaint department, complaint department. airlinepilotguy.com <laughs> for all the journalists out there <laughs> yes especially set up for them um let's see let's uh i think we can squeeze at least one more in Sent the actress to the bishop. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Peter writes, on APG 329, there was a lively discussion about turbulence from a passenger's point of view. I'd like to provide input from a passenger's point of view, and not just a regular passenger, but one who used to be petrified of flying. And when I say petrified, I mean sweaty palms, shortness of breath, and panic attacks just thinking about a flight I have coming up in six months' time. This was about 15 years ago, and two things happened that made me get over my fear. I changed my job to one which required me to take frequent transatlantic flights. It was a job I really wanted, and the travel aspect was non-negotiable. And, two, I found Flying Without Fear by Virgin Atlantic. And then uh, he includes a link to that, and we'll put that in the show notes. This consisted of a series of emails explaining in thorough detail all that goes on during a flight. So over time, and with much education, reading and rereading of the articles, I slowly overcame my fear. Oh, and my doctor prescribed diazepam, which greatly helped. Valium. Good stuff. Oh, is it kind of like knock you out? (laughs) It relaxes you. Or just makes you not really care about anything? Yeah. Okay. Since then, I've become a huge av geek and thoroughly enjoy flying. Being that most passengers have no idea the very basics of flight, the slightest bump, shake, or weird sound is enough to send them into a panic. Here's a recent story that happened to me to illustrate this. A few months ago, I was on a flight from London Heathrow to New York JFK, and approximately halfway through the flight, we hit moderate turbulence, the type where service is suspended and the cabin crew were told to sit down and buckle up, etc. Sitting next to me was an older woman who was convinced we were going down. I stopped what I was doing and tried my best to explain to her what was happening. No matter what I told her, was her mind changed that this was the end. Since I had purchased Wi-Fi access, I pulled out my phone, opened the planefinder.net app, and showed her all the planes ahead of us and how none none of them were plunging into the murky depths of the North Atlantic. She still did not believe me. I was trying to explain how the app works, etc., but by the time turbulence had passed and the remainder of the flight was smooth as silk. The entire episode lasted about 10 to 15 minutes, and the point I'm trying to make is that no matter what is actually going on, the 300-plus backseat pilots would have formed their own conclusions, and sometimes it's very hard or impossible to change that. I'm saying this from experience, from when I was petrified to step on a plane, or step foot on a plane. An already nervous passenger will form an opinion based on what they are feeling and not what is happening. For such a person, this could very well be the most harrowing experience of their life. As professional pilots, you experience this on a day-to-day basis, so you know what's going on and would consider this normal. I hope this sheds some light on turbulence from a former nervous flyer's pilot. (laughs) I hope this sheds some light on turbulence from a former nervous flyer's point of view. Keep up the good work, etc. Peter. 
Yeah, I, I really appreciate this because it's, you know, it's someone who's actually suffered and it gives you an insight into what, you know, they're thinking, but leaves me with the situation of what do I do? What do I say to a passenger who's extremely nervous um, other than explain the facts? And if they won't accept the facts, then I'm a bit flummoxed. Yeah. Yeah. If someone's definitely made up their mind and they're not willing to change it, there's not much you can do. Um, I guess until they're provided with overwhelming evidence to the contrary, when they're able to get off the plane safe and sound at their destination, unscathed. I, I even then, I guess you probably can't go back and convince people that it wasn't the most terrifying experience of their life. Yes. Yeah. And it's not always the case that people, when armed with knowledge about what's happening and the sounds they're hearing and everything else are going to somehow be cured of this anxiety. But I think a good percentage of those people, when, you know, they, they have that information, that knowledge of what they're experiencing, uh, that, that, that definitely helps them. But, uh, there are some that doesn't matter how much education you give them. It's all about feeling. And as you said, not what's actually going on. Trouble is that uh, I don't know if you've been watching much of the uh, the World Cup. There are players there that receive the lightest of of touches, and they'll fall on the floor <laughs> and scream "blue murder." Uh, and I, I look at In the soccer, social. What? <laughs> yeah, what? No, really? Were they really not injured? Yeah. So um, I I look at social media and their response to uh, some events. Uh, we covered one, uh, or you guys did, or perhaps we covered it the week before last, um, which was truly a non-event, and yet the uh, re media reported as if the aircraft came close to a, an absolute disaster, and the captain uh, had to sort of, and the, the chief pilot had to sort of explain that this was an absolute non-event. Um, and uh, I, I'm just thinking that if someone is truly terrified of flying, uh, then I have enormous amount of sympathy. But someone who just amplifies uh, what was an insignificant incident uh, just to make a splash on social media, I have no sympathy with at all. Or respect. No, exactly. Yeah. And that's the official point of view from the Airline Pilot Guy Show. And it's correct. <laughs> Yes, uh, quick mention, uh, Captain Al, who uh, is ever-present on aviation podcasts uh, all around the world, uh, also a seasoned, and when I say seasoned, trust me, seasoned, airline pilot. Um, he, uh, <laughs> I don't know what he, that means, but... He was in our chat on. room, but he's gone. Very because peppery. Of, <laughs> that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I don't know why. You can just take it however you want. Um, but anyway, he's no longer with us in the chat room. He's still with us on, on the earth. I'm sure <laughs> I think he's sleeping, <laughs> had to get up early, but, uh, he, uh, has a side, um, business and it's called flight fear solutions. And, uh, the link to that is flightfearsolutions.co.uk. And, uh, he is, uh, apparently, uh, excellent at helping people work through their fears and, and anxiety that they may have, uh, flying. And so, uh, if you're one of those people, check out his website, flightfearsolutions.co.uk. Indeed. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to bring us to the end of this week's episode. Well, we almost got to all of the feedback there in the folder, but don't worry. We'll push it on to the uh, next show folder. And if you want to learn more about 
our little show here, you can head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com. And uh, lots of information there about uh, the crew and the community and uh, the coffee fund and, and the plane tales. If you want to subscribe to uh, the plane tales as a separate podcast, uh, the information about how to do that is there as well. And we also have apps for the iPhone and Android platforms. Just check it out at the appropriate app stores. And we're also on social media, Dr. Steph. Social media, you can head over to Twitter and find us using the handle at APG Crew. Uh, lots of good community interaction going on there. If you like Facebook instead, www.facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Interact with the community there, share articles, uh, see what others have to say, and we hope to see you there. Excellent. And we're also on Slack, a quasi social media site and uh, Hillel is the one that set that up and runs it for us and he'll tell us all about it. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1, Hotel India, 1-1, Echo 1. And see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. And uh, really looking forward to the uh, next few weeks of... Uh, the trip in the next couple of weeks to the UK and uh, meeting Nigel Demery and uh, reuniting with uh, my good friend and co-host Captain Nick and Dr. Steph and uh, Uh Dana perhaps and all of you over there in the UK who happen to be hanging out at Riyadh or and or Thambra um, looking forward to this uh, trip so uh, anything else to add before we sign off? don't think so not for me okay well in that case wishing you clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds take care god bless cheers y'all bye everybody good day